Hi, my name's Paul Marshall and I run In The Beginning and today I'm interviewing Dave Needham. This is a first for the blog. I've always done my interviews via email as a question and answer piece, but today we decided to do this in person. You can visit my blog at www.inthebeginningblog.co.uk and on Instagram and Twitter. You can also follow Dave via his website www.djdimitrisol.com. Thank you. Enjoy. Uh, well, first of all, let me say thank you for you uh, choosing to interview me for the In The Beginning blog. Um, thank you very much. Let's get on with the answers. We'll just go through background information, um, where you grew up, what the area was like, any music on in the house growing up, um, and any particular music within the area. Uh, okay, Paul. Um, well, I uh, I was born in Sheffield, and uh, my early days was not far from Bramall Lane, unfortunately, uh, but then we moved out to the outskirts, which was uh, literally on the border of North Derbyshire. Uh, surrounded by fields and plenty of opportunities to uh, play football and cricket. Um, uh, musically, uh, there's always music on in the house, always. Um, whether it be uh, the radio or uh, the old gramophone, uh, music such as uh, ABBA, ELO, Bee Gees, Elton John, uh, but significantly an awful lot of soul music. Uh, music from uh, Lou Rawls, Rose Royce, Brooke Benton, Barry White. Um, Earth, Wind and Fire in particular, Sheik, Three Degrees, which my parents went to see quite a few times at the old Fiesta Club in Sheffield, um, and a bit of jazz like Dave Brubeck, and of course those, uh, if you remember them, the K-Tel and Ronco compilation albums, that were about three quid for about 40 tracks, and uh, the most flimsiest vinyl you could ever imagine to find. So interesting times with different music. Um, I guess that gave the basis to your your musical influence throughout. Uh, yeah, most definitely. Yeah, um, it, it could have gone off in a completely different direction, uh, but there was an awful lot of influences appeared within a short period of time. Uh, when I started to get uh, some sort of musical identity, I think we all find a musical identity at some time in this life. Um, but yeah, certainly in the, in the, in the mid late seventies. It was most definitely uh, a time to uh, hear soul music on radio. You know, it was unheard of these days, but yeah. back then to hear something like Al Green or Odyssey or Earth, Wind and Fire on the radio was quite commonplace. Yeah. Good good times, great, great music. Um, so growing up through the 70s, obviously going to school, any aspirations musically or anything at school? No, no, um... At school, uh, I hated school. Despised yeah. it. It was horrible uh, for, for all sorts of reasons. Um, but predominantly, I, I felt like the the odd one out because everyone was into rock or at that time yeah. punk uh, or pop music. Generally, pop music, uh, and I didn't get any of it really. Um, but in terms of aspirations for work, uh, no. Uh, education in those days <laughs> didn't inspire anyone. Yeah. Uh, work, living in Sheffield, you're going to work in the steelworks yeah. if you're a guy, or you're going to be a nurse or something like that, or work in retail if you're a girl, and that's as far as it got. And football? Well, we all wanted to be a footballer. Yeah. 
Uh, yeah, I love football. Um, big Wednesday fan. Um, but no, I wasn't good enough. I played often enough. I used yeah. to play twice a week and played cricket twice a week actually. Uh, right, right up to being uh, oh, probably about nineteen. Going back a couple of years, um, at school, um, your musical uh, influences and, and, and the, the, the types of music and the bands, artists that you were listening to during the late 70s, early 80s, we just have a little uh, talk about that and okay, yeah. your influences yeah, yeah. there? There's kind of a split there because um, the musically, um, in as much that I'm realising that I love soul music yeah. and all its versions, disco, uh, uh, and, and certainly a little bit of blues as well, yeah. uh, and, um, but from being at college, the exposure we're having to bands like The Clash, uh, Human League, yeah. Devo, um, ACDC, which I've got a soft spot for, yeah. um, Susie and the Banshees, The Cure, this, this kind of sound, and when we were going out socialising with my friends from college, non-solely uh, friends, then I, th- that's what we got. That's and what that, we got. that's because of the Sheffield sound yeah. as such. Yeah, yeah. I used to go to Steely's and the Crazy Daisy uh, in, in Sheffield and The Limit. The Limit had people like U2, B-52s, um, just big... But by the time we got to 1980, I was listening to uh, Richard Serling um, on Radio Hallam, as it was then in Sheffield. And uh, uh, it started around about my birthday in September 1980. And it kind of was, this is what I like. Yeah. I really like this. Yeah. And I, I start, I've still got the cassettes today, bizarrely. Okay. Um, of the majority of the shows here, yeah. I think he did it up to about 1985. Could be mistaken, but yeah, in early 1980s, I'm hearing stuff like the Caronites Affair, Peebo Bryson, George Benson. Um, certainly, a lot of tracks that have been reworked in in recent years as, as edits. Yeah. Uh, Ashford and Simpson, uh, Bobby Womack in particular, um, and then latterly Anita Baker, uh, Johnny Taylor, uh, all these great artists. Uh, and funny enough, as we sat here in my studio, all these records. That I bought back then, yeah. I sat right at the side of it. Right at the side, yeah. Um, so it, it became a, a big influence, and I, and I think he was finding his way around as well, because uh, I was relatively new to radio broadcasting. Having been um, one of the, the the residents of the legendary Wigan Cena, okay. and it was a kind of slight departure for him musically, I think, because he'd been used to playing Rolling Stone, and he'd have to tell you himself. Uh, but Richard um, brought to us uh, some music we didn't normally hear on radio. Yes, we could hear Earth, Wind & Fire and Odyssey and the Tramps on daytime radio. But he was bringing that underground feel, the stuff that you wouldn't hear anywhere else. And uh, it resonated with me straight away. Is that mainly American? 
Most so, definitely at that yeah. time, yeah. Um, so I, I would say 90%. Right. Um, uh, and that wasn't the direction thing for him. It was what was out there. Yeah. There was an awful lot of UK soul artists knocking about. You got Light of the World, Incognito, um, Lynx. Uh, well, sort of the Lyceum in Sheffield, actually, right there. Um, but it, it was uh, very much an American thing. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And very hard to come about. Very hard to get the the, the music. Uh, it's hard to find it. So yeah. you've got to realise this is pre-internet. Yeah. Like, by, by a long stretch. So the only way you could find out about these tracks is either hearing it on a radio show or reading about it in such as Blues and Soul magazine yeah. or in Record Mirror. Uh, Blues and Soul magazine still going, um, and uh, at that time, very influential for me because it, it literally got lists of records, yeah. and, and often you'd be taking a, a guess, a punt, almost uh, a gamble on a on a on a on a track, and um, you'd go into your local. I used to go in Bradley's Records every day, yeah. every single day. I had the benefit when I worked uh, when I went to college, rather. Of having two bus rides, one into Sheffield and one out of Sheffield, but in between, I had to walk past two Bradley's record shops. Okay. Uh, almost like an addict. And yeah. again, some of those records I bought then are right at the side of your name. Um, and so, um, what I do is, is look on. And so, uh, uh, that built up my record collection. And also, uh, this guy called James Hamilton, which is. Uh, for many people a very famous guy he used to write a single page every week in Record Mirror okay. uh, and uh, he had a, a large gay influence uh, of the music that was around uh, Sylvester and that sort of stuff but he also had an eye on the more clubby type records there were okay. the West End records the, uh, the stuff on uh, Motown Disco and he would List I, I, and again, it seems odd now, but he would list the BPMs, okay. and, I, and of course, BPMs went up and down, so it's dead yeah. useful, you know, if you were that way inclined to do mixing. Yeah, but he had such a way of uh, describing a record that was so unique to him, not necessarily in a loving way, more in a technical sort of way, okay. but you actually understood what yeah, he was yeah. writing, yeah, because you got that record or you, you knew what he'd written before about certain records. Uh, and that was another wonderful tool to actually finding music uh, uh, in single page. Also, uh, uh, around about that time, um, I used to listen to Luxembourg 208 okay. on a, a little red transistor radio uh, yeah. in, in bed because it was on late for me. Uh, I think it used to be on 9 while 11 or something like that, a disco show with Tony Prince. Okay. And um, <laughs> it was wonderful. I used to write down, scribble down in a notebook what I was listening to eagerly listening if you know if you recall long wave radio it came up came in and it went out again it came in uh, like a uh, some sort of distortion appearing uh, so you begged that you wouldn't get distortion when you were back <laughs> announcing what the track was <laughs> or you'd have to listen again next week to yeah, find out what it was yeah. uh, what, what sort of year we're talking again so that would be uh, around about 79 80 Right, music would be like Narada, Michael Walden, Tonight I'm Alright, uh, Crown Heights Affair again, um, and but stuff like Azimuth, which is a, a Brazilian jazz band, a okay. jazz carnival came out, which blew everyone away that was into that musical scene. Um, um, George Duke, Brazilian Love Affair, another essentially a jazz album, 
uh, alongside Jermaine Jackson and George Benson, uh, Tina Marie at that time, um, Stevie Wonder. Um, yeah, all, all those kind of tracks at that time were, were appearing. And um, literally, I could have spent thousands on records. And I possibly did at that time, actually, thinking about it. Well, maybe hundreds. I was going to say, you, you must have been working or, or, or something at that time to, to be able to afford the records. Or... Um, well, I got lucky. You know, lucky is wrong word, but my, my grandmother left me some money. Okay. Uh, and um, at that age, money. Yeah. It's either going to go on beer... <laughs> women, fast cars, yeah. but in my case, it went on records. Any um, like overseas influence? Um, I think you mentioned um, New York. Um, yeah, had most a, definitely had a, had a big influence on you. Most definitely, yeah. Um, so um, I'd be about eight or nine year old, and uh, my auntie and uncle uh, were quite wealthy, but uh, they took advantage of the cheap flights to New York on a regular basis. And every time they came back, they came back with lots of paraphernalia about New York maps. Uh, mementos, uh, just just stuff, and at the same time, uh, you know, uh, eight, nine, ten year old, I was buying the the Marvel comics, yep. which essentially is based in uh, a, a pseudo New York. Yep. So I got this vision in my head of, uh, as you would as a, a young child, uh, of, of all these things. Uh, quite liked it all. This big tower block thing. Yep. This perceived energy of New York City and the stories they tell me, the, the yellow cabs, the long streets, yeah. uh, walking up and down Broadway, uh, going down to Lower Manhattan, walking around Central Park. I, I've got it all on my head. Yeah. So latterly, um, uh, when I got to like 17, 18, 19, there was an immediate connection with the music. Yeah. Um, you think of uh, Prelude Records, which essentially just dealt with New York artists uh, and, um, you know, the people like Sharon Red, uh, the Strikers, uh, I'm trying to think of some, quite a few, uh, all they're on Prelude Records. Okay. Uh, and an awful lot of the tracks were uh, remixed by Francois Kavokin, actually, at that time. Right. Uh, D-Train, there's another one. Yeah. Uh, so I got this, this vision of New York from the past that I got suddenly bouncing off this musical influence uh, and all the independent record labels in New York yeah. as well. And I could almost feel it. I could smell New York. Um, uh, and um, it took me a while to get there, but I did eventually get there. Uh, yeah. And the, the weird thing is, when I actually finally got to New York in 2003, I kind of knew Manhattan, not like back of my hand. Yeah. I, I'd organised where we were going to go each day. I just knew where everything yeah. was. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the, the whole influence. And then going forward, when when rap started to appear, 
Yeah. And then lastly, hip hop. Um, I was quite comfortable with that. When a lot of the soul boys that I'd started to meet um, kind of turned off from it, just yeah. I don't, I don't get this. It's rubbish. Yeah. I, I understood it. I got yeah. it straight away. And the entire culture, uh, the track suits, the trainers, baseball caps. I, mean, I, I can't wear a baseball cap because I've got this <laughs> stupid little head. But I used to buy baseball caps with yeah. logos on yeah. at a ridiculous expense and finish up giving them away or throwing them away because yeah. I can't wear them. Yeah. Um, but I was into that culture straight away. And, uh, I was quite happy to go into a record store and buy Luther Vandross's latest album or buy something on Profile Records. Yeah. Um, and, and and feel see, that sound see, and grass, Grandmaster see, Flash I mean Wheels of Steel he's just a superb piece of music for me it's just genius uh, and that it kind of gave me an influence right there I'm thinking I'd like to do that yeah. at some point And you were quite happy to bridge the gap, play both, you know, within the same sets if you got the chance. Well, where, you didn't really where, get the chance till um, it would be 1982, um, but there weren't that many opportunities knocking him out. You've yeah. got to remember in the early 80s, most nightclubs were uh, big businesses. Yeah. They were run by a big company and all the DJs were under contract. Yeah. There were no self-employed as such. You were an employee. Yeah. And there was an awful lot of dictation to the DJs what they were going to play. Okay. Otherwise, you were out. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and if you deviated too much, then, you know, you, you were putting your job at risk. Yeah. And very few DJs or anyone's going to put the job at risk for doing the wrong thing. Yeah. Um, so, uh, and it was hard to break through. So I didn't really get a chance. I do recall going to, uh, for uh, an audition, an audition to DJ, yeah, uh, at Tiffany's in Rotherham, uh, which became, oh, anyway, irrelevant. Uh, but I went along and I took uh, Gary Bird, The Crown, I took New Order, Blue Monday. I took uh, some. It, it became electro from from rap. It yeah. became electro then yeah. hip hop. That's that's a short history right there. Uh, uh, and they were like, no, this ain't gonna work. And I thought, okay, well, I've done what I want to do. Yeah. Uh, but meanwhile, I'd go back and I'd, I'd be doing weddings and stuff like that, youth clubs. Yeah. Uh, so. You know, I was I was doing what I wanted to do, yeah. uh, rather than sticking to a playlist. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I bought I bought some decks in '82, uh, belt drive, you know, all in one thing, yeah. built-in amplifier, yeah. uh, weighed like a transit van, um, <laughs> and a couple of speakers. I bought them from Moon Music, Moon Music, which was uh, for anyone from Sheffield listening, was right across from Hills. Hillsborough Park just before the stadium right um, and it was Road Terrace Houses then just outside of the the, uh, the bakery and the tree bore factory I think it was then uh, and right in the corner was this this DJ shop there weren't many knocking about 
and it was essentially a terraced house on a corner. Right. So you walked in and you went up these creepy uh, stair- wooden staircase, go upstairs and you was just surrounded by decks. And I can still smell that smell of uh, warm plastic okay. and heated amplifiers because <laughs> it got it all turned on. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and I remember the guy, I can see his face now actually, uh, he said, right, oh, what you want? And I went, well, I don't know. <laughs> I just want some DJ decks. Yeah. And he put on uh, uh, a reggae track. Now, what was it called? Come back to me. Sugar Miner. There we go. He put that on and I'm thinking, well, it sounds all right. Yeah. I'll have that one. <laughs> so that's that's where the, the mobile, the wedding, um, started at the, at, at the beginning before you could... Yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, I was really nervous uh, about doing um uh, the fact that it was someone's special day yeah. um, has never lost me. Not that I do weddings very often these days. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but when it's someone's special occasion, you have to be conscious of that, I think. Yeah. Um, and it, it still sticks with me now. You've got to be the best you possibly can be and be giving. Yeah. And you, you need to give yeah. what, exactly what they want. Yeah. mentioned the early early 80s um, talk about 82 83 onwards um, obviously pre-internet um, how were you hearing about the latest music and you touched it on earlier um, radio shows anything yeah, yeah. Was, um, um, Robbie Vincent appeared on okay. Radio 1 on a Sunday night Robbie Vincent had been part of the uh, jazz funk mafia the soul mafia down in the south east of the UK and um, suddenly we got to hear him on a Sunday night in stereo on Radio 1 which may sound bizarre to many people listening now but stereo radio didn't happen that often and that combined with Richard Serling that I touched on earlier on there was an overlap somewhere but you got to feel that that southern sound yeah I I should observe uh, the southern sound uh, of the time 83, 84 uh, and before that, had been slightly different to the northern sound. Uh, and I don't mean northern soul by that. Um, it, it had a certain feel about it, just like the soul music that was played in the north had a certain feel about it. Uh, and so when Robbie Vincent came along, he was exposing us to that sound. Um, most definitely, the, the, the very, very much connected, the two different sounds. But uh, uh, yeah, it was different. And uh, welcome, welcome. Um... I should mention at this time, by the way, around about 1983-84, my, my girlfriend Gary uh, asked me to join him at a place called Fascinations in Chesterfield on a Tuesday night, which doesn't sound that glamorous. 
when I say it like that, but actually, it was an amazing event. Uh, every Tuesday night, we, we arrested DJ John Charles. Um, it was people from Nottingham, who usually go to Rock City, uh, people from Derby, obviously people from Chesterfield, and a lot of people from Sheffield, and we'd be packed out. It was wonderful. And at the time, it was music like... Um, Roots and Shocker, Jocelyn Brown, uh, Sharon Brown, uh, I specialise in love, Captain Rap, uh, the Fatback Bands, I Found Loving, uh, all these kind of tracks um, that really were just getting exposure at that point. Uh, one of the things I recognise in, in hindsight is that Robbie Vincent had helped to get those tracks played on Daytime Radio 1. Very important, very important. So then you hear things like uh, Frankie Beverly and Mays and Gwen Guthrie, and Rufus and Shocker and George Benson. Uh, being played on Radio 1, which uh, prior to that, it was unlikely to hear those sort of tracks. So, uh, well done, Robbie Vincent. Big love to you. And just going back to how I bought records, you know, like, I realised at that point I weren't going to get what I wanted just in Sheffield. Uh, and I used to go to the pub with my dad, uh, Underage, and there used to be this guy who worked for, uh, I think it was called Inland Avenue now, tax office, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Uh, but he used to work in London all week, and okay. I, caught, I thought, oh, I have a plan here. <laughs> so I asked him if, if I gave him a list and some money, would he sure enough? He'd be, uh, he'd be going in there at a Friday after work, go around record shops, City Sounds and what have you, Bluebird, um, a Record Shack in Soho, and come back with a big bag full of records. And um, made my day, like Friday nights, I, I lived. Um, and, and so I'd spend the weekend listening to these new tunes. The thing is, by Monday morning, I listened to Richard Serling and Robbie Vincent again, and they're all new bag of records to get the following week. Because the amount of music coming out of New York in particular was phenomenal. Yeah. I mean, phenomenal. And uh, it still stands the test of time today. You know, like um, Yolanda McCulloch, which won't be a name that people would know that well, but she recorded a track called Bad Company for uh, Warner Brothers, I think it was. Mirage, Mirage Records. And it was produced, written by Ashwin Simpson. And latterly, it's been appeared, reappeared on Glitbox. Okay. Melville Baptiste has recorded his own version of it. Okay. So you know, like, it's 40 years old, that yeah. track. Uh, a lot of these tracks have stood the test of time. Uh, but yeah, he used to, he used to come back on, on a Friday with these, these records, and uh, I thought I would be his knees. Yeah. Not that it mattered to anyone else, but for me, it was great. I got these things, and that... I think that's the thing, being a record collector. Yeah. You keep striving to get that record that you've not got. A 12-inch would be probably about five ninety nine. Okay. Uh, and an album would probably be about eight ninety nine. Right. And what kind of music are you buying at that point? Say, 83, 84? Uh, yeah, it was just kind of crossover period. So, like, the syndrome was starting to appear in music. Uh, more electronic keyboards. Okay. Gone from a live sound with real strings and horn sections to 
uh, a keyboard doing that sort of thing. Uh, but music by uh, Norman Connors, Gene Kahn, George Benson, uh, Glenn Jones, what a voice, Glenn Jones, uh, Aretha Franklin, Bobby Womack, Anita Baker, Kenny Burke, more Earth, Wind & Fire, Luther, of course. Yep. Luther Vandross. Yep. Uh, David Sanborn, Herbie Hancock, uh, Shalimar, Phyllis Hyman, uh, Frankie Beverly and Mays, um, and then more electronic stuff back to New York for the Peach Boys, Lyra Levan's band, uh, Sharon Red, Unlimited Touch, which Louis Vegas yeah. reinvented almost. Yeah. Uh, Leroy Burgess, again, again, he's been working with Louis Vega. Yeah. Uh, and he's, uh, he's worked um, on various labels, actually. So lots and lots of music right there. Well, music on Salsa, Prelude, uh, Beckett Records, uh, things like Cinnamon, Thanks to You, and Captain Rap, Bad Times. Uh, Emergency Records, Shannon, Let the Music Play, which yeah. became a worldwide hit. Massive. All emanated from New York, and I, w- I was buying all this stuff. Yeah. And the Italia, uh, Italia, Italio, Italio music. <laughs> uh, BB and Kuban, Change, who had massive hits uh, for, for a few years, actually. Um, in fact, I had done a, a feature on that, a story about them, um, which is featured somewhere on a website I'm sure you'll include a link somewhere we'll do at the end yeah uh, but it, it does tell the story of how change was created in Italy right. and it eventually apparently allegedly funded by the Mafia allegedly uh, and Jocelyn Brown and Luther Andros were part of change for a while uh, and chose not to carry on for whatever reason yeah uh, but they always had brilliant musicians absolutely superb missions and great vocalists to front their work yeah uh, throughout throughout their recordings so uh, yeah we'll... so around 82 83 uh, still um, whereabouts were you going out to to hear all this music um, the music that you were buying that you were listening to on radio whereabouts were you going out to uh, to experience this live as such well there weren't many options in Sheffield uh, unfortunately um, a place called Pennies in Sheffield uh, which I think, if I remember rightly, was a Tuesday night. Okay. And I would go and see my girlfriend, uh, the other side of the city, get on the bus back into Sheffield, because yeah. it was a two-bus journey, and it stopped right outside Penny's. Okay. So I'd be in there, uh, and Tiffany's, um, they used to do... I'm trying to remember what night it was, but probably midweek night. Yeah. Because um, they wouldn't give it away to... A soul night, yeah. Uh, but yeah, Pe- Penny's was just. Um, I, w- I walked in very, very, very nervous. The yeah. first time I've been into that environment. Okay. Um, and uh, hearing things that I'd already played to myself, yeah, or I'd heard on radio, actually live and see people dancing to it, yeah, yeah, was quite an eye opener. Um, okay. Not least the jazz dancers, because there were an awful lot of jazz funk being played there. And did, did you know about the dancers at that point, or was it...? No, I, I, no. I mean, thankfully I've gone through life kind of open-minded as to what I might see. Yeah. That doesn't stop you being nervous. Yeah, yeah. In fact, it probably encourages the nervousness in some respects. Uh, but yeah, it, it blew me away completely. Yeah. Oh, I want to be part of this. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it was difficult to, to find places. And there was one other place uh, in, in Sheffield near the markets called Rebels. Okay. Which was essentially a rock club. Right. It smelled like a rock club. <laughs> it looked like a it rock club. It looked like a rock club. <laughs> um, and then they gave away 
I think it might have been a Thursday or a Tuesday night, I can't remember now. But to, to the soul thing, uh, and that was quite an experience because um, it was like five flights of stairs. You finally got in there and you had smell of Newcastle Brown. Yeah. Came over you. Toilets were disgusting. Uh, and maybe shaded some more tasting certain records in as much that um, your first experience of hearing that record out was with Newcastle Brown yeah. smell in, in your mind. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but it was good time. Stuff, stuff then, it was sort of like the, the boogie stuff of the year, like Leroy Burgess. Okay. That kind of sound. And D-Train. Uh, a little less jazz funk and more a soul funk sort of vibe. Uh, but yeah, that, that, they were the first places I went to. Uh, and just going off at a tangent, uh, one of the first places I played at was uh, the back room at Max's Downtown Bar. In fact, the very first place I played with Gary in a club environment. Okay. And, and Winston Azel, Azel, who became uh, Forge Masters, and, and many people know Winston Azel anyway. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, that, that was first time. That was weird. So it's hot summer's day. We went to view it first. Yeah. 70, 80 degrees outside. And I swear it was minus five in there. <laughs> and uh, I'll, give you a, I'll give you a picture. Um, so it, it around the outside, you've got this seating, but you also got, you got like what, what look like school desks okay. for tables. Yeah. And then hanging from the ceiling was all these pictures of semi-naked ladies in crocheted dresses and what have you. So it literally had stood still for maybe 10 years or yeah. so. And the decks were uh, like I got home, but all in one, but right. hung from the ceiling on four chains. So so any chances of playing like Greg Wilson would just gone out of the window straight away. Yeah. Which, you know, at that age you're thinking, I want to I wanna DJ like Greg Wilson. So yeah, yeah. yeah. That was uh, that was quite an experience the first ever real club gig that I did yeah. can't remember much about it but I, I remember having an awful lot of Street Sounds album which were a brilliant source of music yeah. at that stage I, I mentioned Greg Wilson I, I actually I, I think uh, very possibly he's the biggest influence on me to DJ yeah. not over a number of years yeah. but I saw him at Romeo and Juliet's in Sheffield at an old day okay. uh, probably about 82, 83 and while all the DJs were doing a great job, uh, Cleveland Anderson there, I think um, Mike Shaft might have been there from Manchester, Colin Curtis, uh, he pulled off a set and I'm thinking, this is just brilliant. Yeah. Uh, and like, you know, Michael Jackson were a bit obvious for me because I was cool, you know, I yeah, was yeah. buying all this yeah. stuff from New York and yeah, Philadelphia. Yeah. He played from the, the, the album, uh, the Thriller album, and he made it sound just so much better than anything else it yeah. just mixed everything it had a flow to it and I thought yeah that's what I want to do the first time you've ever heard anyone mix or well, as in mixing rather than blending or yeah there were an awful lot of blending going off then yeah. uh, that's probably a good word um, you know whether they had the, the technical equipment like Technics 1200s back then in front of them or not I, I don't think there were an awful lot of technical yeah DJs around. It's not a bad thing. I mean, I'm not a technical DJ in any shape or form. I, yeah. My career's been based on picking the right music. Yeah. Um, but I, Greg Wilson just took a different level and continued to do that for, for many years. Yeah. And still does today. Still yeah. does today. Yeah, still massive. Mm. Um, still very influential. Absolutely. Um, 
so as we go through this period, anything else that you you can remember during that period to to kind of turning you on to different um, genres, music, labels, um, places to go? I, it's it's great question, um, but it, the answer is really places I didn't go at that time. Yeah, uh, I latterly found out there were lots of places I could have got to, um, but I was quite quite shy. Um, you know, I mentioned about walking into a club for the first time and hearing yeah. my kind of music. I was quite shy, right. um, which is obviously not the case these days. <laughs> but you, you know, you, you all come out of your shell at, at some point. I, I heard about a place called Clifton Halls in Rotherham, um, and um, again, going back to Richard Serling, he'd he mention it, um, and it, it became the crossover. I'll use that word significantly. The crossover place for where Northern Soul met modern soul at that time okay and i really think that would have been uh my heaven in in some respects yeah um one place i couldn't have got to at that time was going to see larry levan the paradise garage yeah and uh in later years i realized how much how close i was musically i'm not saying i'm <laughs> Larry Levan in any shape or form, just to be completely clear. Yeah. But the records I, I were buying, I had no idea that that's what he was playing. He was playing it. And, it, and it's only in the late 90s that I discovered that, you know, on the internet, he discovered all these tracks that he was playing. I thought, yeah. I've got that. Yeah. I've got that. Yeah. No, he's playing that. Even things like Talking Heads, right. once, once in a lifetime. Yeah, yeah. You know, like, I, I bought it because I loved it. That bass line's just wow. Uh, and then to find out that this. Uh, it's probably a disco legend, but it's much more than that. Yeah. Was playing things like Talking Heads, it like blew me away because I got it as well. You may find yourself in a beautiful house with a beautiful wife, and you may ask yourself. So during, um, so from that time, um, you mentioned the uh, backroom bar. Where were you able to to play out at that point? Were you able to play the music that you wanted, or was it the wedding kind of no, setup that you'd you'd bought into? I'd done bits and pieces um, here, there, and everywhere. Uh, lots of bars, lots of functions. Um, kind of got to uh, probably mid 80s I would have thought and trying to find where I wanted to be as a DJ okay. not consciously I, I realise that now but like I was still a soul boy yeah and um, and yeah you could hear it on radio Shalimar were on Lionel Richie was on so on and so forth yeah but it wasn't necessarily my kind, my version of some music. Yeah. So it's very difficult to, to to fit myself into a place. Yeah, we're doing events where we played some music, but for sure, yeah. And then we're playing in bars that wasn't playing some music, but I try and squeeze it in. Uh, I, I find a way to do it. And um, certainly, I, I like just moving forward to like 
I think it was about 1986. Uh, I went with my long-term friend Gary and his girlfriends at the time to Ibiza. And um, their way of delivering music yeah. is very... Well, you call it open format now. Yeah. Um, but it was cool music in many respects. You know, yeah. like um, a, a lot of electronic-sounding stuff like... Peter Gabriel, Sledgehammer, yeah. uh, alongside Alexander O'Neill, alongside a remix of Bill Withers' Lovely Day, uh, alongside Baluis Som, um, and yeah, just, just lots and lots of different influences. And I thought, well, it can be done yeah. in, in a cool way. Uh, and it, it took me many, many years later to really embrace that. Partly because when you come back to the UK, you realise it's slightly stiff. Yeah. You know, you, you needed to be in that that lane or that lane, but you can't swap over and you certainly can't mix lanes. Kind of pigeonholed? Pigeonholed, yeah. Yeah. So, did you, did you, did your, not taste, but 84, 85, mid-80s, was the music changing? Uh, it, there was, yeah. Uh, Mainly because of the, the the sound that was around, um, very sort of like syndrome. I call it bangy almost. But you got stuff like Janet Jackson's album produced by Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis, who also produced Human League latterly. Okay. Uh, they also did Cheryl Lane. They also did Change album. All these things charted big. You know, it were on daytime radio, so it yeah. gave me more chance to play these tracks out. Later on, and I got invited to go to a house party. Okay. Uh, and not really want to go to house parties, to be honest, but I thought, oh, let, let's try it. Yeah. And um, went, went to these flats uh, in area of Sheffield called Gleadless, bottom of Gleadless Road. I think it's where it meets Le- Leighton Road. Could be wrong. But anyway, somewhere around there. And I walked into smell <laughs> red stripe and weed and this crazy music. Yeah. And it was like, what is this? Wow. Yeah. Boom, 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 boom. Like, I've never heard anything like this before. No. I recognise it had got that warmth, that soul to it. Okay. And then I realised it was house music. House music. And um, 
wow, uh, it just it just blew me away. Uh, and I, I just thought I, I need to play stuff like this. Yeah, this 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 is so exciting. Um, this is so different to anything else I've heard. Yeah, uh, and the fact that I had to go to a house party to hear it kind of gave an explanation as to why it wasn't yeah, as it was still underground. So it, an, it undergr- underground. an underground yeah. sound. Yeah, at that point, and then. Um, Steve Silkelly changed everything. Yeah. Um, yeah. In, in a moment. Yeah. You know, he, he went to number one. I, I mean, maybe we'd had a, a taste of it, uh, and I do mean a taste of it, with New Order's Blue Monday before that. Yeah, we're going to say, well, was there anything that you you kind of took it for granted, not granted at the time, but you, you there was a, a similar sound at the time coming through, and then it was the, you know, the house sound that kind of changed the... Not really. Um, no, th- there wasn't anything close to it. It, it, it was very raw. Yeah. It was... Um, yeah, raw is the word. It, yeah. It, it was just so like... And you realise now, it, it, after all these years you watch interviews and what have you, it literally was done in someone's front room. Yeah. Or in a kitchen or something yeah. like that. But a drum machine and a, yeah. maybe a keyboard. Yeah. And that was it. Uh, and a sampler, throw it in, uh, and that became house music. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there were some influences. Um, I think back to uh, Visual, The Music Got Me. That is the very first house record, 1983. Okay. But it wasn't house. Yeah. <laughs> if you see what I mean, it's not got a title as such. Yeah, yeah. If, if you listen to that and then fast forward to like 86, 87, 88, you can see the connection it's yeah. there it's, yeah. it's already there uh, it was decided more up tempo than majority records back in 83 it was decided more sparse than most of the records in 1983 yeah but it could sit in 1986 very comfortably yeah uh, very very happily yeah. alongside those records and also stuff like Rage Jack the Groove yeah you know it's such a simple record <laughs> yeah. but that bass line yeah I, I just love that bass line yeah. what I've just bought it again actually on 12 inch it's an unbelievable track yeah I've I, I probably got it about six times somewhere yeah but just just amazing and did you hear any any um, house music or early house when you went to a beefer at that point or was it like the open format as you said yeah, yeah they were playing Rage Jack the Groove right uh, <laughs> They, they were playing, they'd embraced house music at that stage. They'd also embraced tracks that were more up-tempo uh, versions of the originals. Um, yeah. I, I, even going back, I had heard uh, Frankie Beverly and Mace, or no, for Joy and Pain, you, yeah. you, you may know that. Yeah, yeah. But they did an instru- instrumental track called Twilight, which completely, you would not stick with Frankie Beverly and Mace. Okay. Because they're essentially a vocal group, but it's totally electronic, so that's something... Again, I'd heard in Ibiza. Yeah. Um, along stuff like Frankie Goes to Hollywood and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. I, um, but so, yeah, there were, there, there were elements there, that, you know, that they, they didn't need a scene as such. They yeah, yeah. to fragment it and put stuff into lanes. Um, but yeah, when I, I came back, I just thought, I, and I went to the house party, I, I need to play this. Yeah. And that got me to looking deeper into finding more tempo tracks again there's no internet to work no. with I was going to say where, where were you where were you Get, it just guesswork you right. start looking at producers and what have you okay. 
uh, and then you get um, the compilations. I think the one called Upfront, one, two, three, four, five. Okay. Uh, and some of the street sounds compilations had the more up tempo stuff as yeah. well. And you'd start looking at the artists and that, and start. Well, I'm a natural researcher, so yeah, I'm yeah. going to start noticing it, things like yeah. this. And that's how you find tracks. Um, and, and, and so that slowly but surely developed the expansion of my record collection in a different direction. Yeah. And it kind of took me up to uh, 1988 when I got I got married and uh, had my son. I kind of took a little break around about that period in time. And then a guy called Jeff Young appeared on a Friday night on Radio 1. Okay. Um, Which year we're talking? Eight, are we talking 88 still or? I'm thinking it's 1988. Um, I'm just trying to think. It'd be the time of... Uh, I was hearing stuff like uh, the stuff on Warp, uh, Tricky Disco and LFO, Nightmares on White. So it'd be around about that time. Um, so again, that were a big Sheffield influence oh, as well. Definitely, yeah. yeah. Or, or Yorkshire thing, because you know, Yorkshire, yeah. Whites were, were leads, of course. Yeah, leads, yeah. Um, but yeah, um, yeah, I think it would have been about 87, 88, 89. And Jeff Young included stuff like uh, King B, back by Dope Demand. Yeah. What a tune. tune. Uh, Mantronics, Dubs International. Yeah. Uh, Orbital Chime, De La Soul. Uh, and if you listen on Mix, oh, go looking on Mixcloud by the way. Some people put some of his old shows on, and you can see what a random mix of stuff it was. Yeah, but it all worked together. It it was just the underground sound of the UK at that time. Whether you were into hip hop or you were into house, he managed to gel it all together. Or elements of soul as well, like light soul to soul. Yeah, but what um, an unbelievable time for, for for people like yourself to hear this music different genres rather than today like you say it's it's very it's a house night it's a techno night whereas you you, you mix it like you say soul to soul uh, Steve Silk Hurley all that together is just well, I, I'm going to fast forward uh, my time at the beach star in Ibiza we've got a broad we had a broad age group there but there's certainly sort of 40, 50 year olds that, that, that still come into Ibiza I know I can play something like uh, Graham Park's version of Brandy Reddy's yeah, uh, Back to Love. Love. I can also play Young MC. Yeah. And no these house. people will get yeah. both, they'll love both. Yeah. Uh, and they're open minded people. Yeah. They were open minded at the late 80s, yeah. early 90s. They still are today. Yeah. Uh, and I think that is wonderful. Yeah. That's the spirit of Ibiza right there. Yeah, I, th- I think it, I think it's the, the the discovery of music as well. I think I think you, if you're open-minded to to a cross section of, of music, then you're going to enjoy the music. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I can't, I can't say more, but if, you I, know, I, if, I you, was... if you're not stuck in one hole, one one lane, then maybe you, you, I, you I always think a good music bit. is good music. Yeah, I, I don't think there is anything such as bad music. I just don't like certain things. Yeah. So I'm quite as comfortable listening to Donald Fagan as I am the Tribe Called Quest. Yeah. And they probably connect somewhere, somewhere along the line, I don't know. Yeah. I'm quite as comfortable listening to Anita Baker as I am Orbital China. Yeah. I'll listen to Wonderworld and I'll listen to Peebo Bryson. It's all good in its own way. Yeah. 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 If you don't like it, you don't like it. That's yeah. fine. Yeah.
rebellious rhymes ever made by man I'm going into this mic written by this hand I'm coming out of this mouth made by this tongue I tell you now my name, my name is Young But so you think that it's your destiny to get the best of me But I suggest to be quiet, but don't even try From the east and west of me Taking it and never breaking it Or even shaking it, grooving it And always moving it, cause I'm not faking it Pulling out rhymes like books off the shelf Born in England, made a holler, stop to go for myself This is stone cold rhyming, no frills, no fluffs And it's no accident that these rhymes sound tough I'm going off, baby, there's no turning back I'm on your TV, on your album cassette, and they track And when the show is finally finished, I'll be taking my bath My name is Young, and yo, I got no how You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, I was still buying records. Still I mean, buying. Yeah. I kind of lost me to a point, you know, I'd be very choosy on what sort of records I'd buy at that, that period of time. Okay. Um, and of course, I didn't have to buy records to go out to work any, at that moment in time. Yeah. And that didn't really change till, till uh, into the early 1990s. I mentioned Jeff Young. He, he passed it over to Pete Tong Friday nights in 1990. Yeah. And wow, what a job he did. Yeah. He actually changed, in my opinion, he changed people's perception of, I call it dance music. Yeah. Because you can't call it just house and you yeah, just yeah. can't call it this or that. Uh, he used to embrace, and still does, I, I listened to him the other night uh, on the way home. Uh, he, he embraces every kind of sound. He's mm. still got He's yeah. still got, got that thing where he recognises a track. But without him, um, the house movement would have carried on. Dance music would have carried on, but he wouldn't have got as massive as what he did. Where we got to a point where we could hear things like Armand Van Helden, daytime, yeah. uh, needing you from Dave Morales, that sort of stuff. Yeah. You, we wouldn't have got to that point. No, I, 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 I broke record. Yeah, I definitely think his show opened up. Dance music to to a, a worldwide audience. I think, totally, yeah, totally. I think his influence is sometimes understated, possibly. 
Yeah, you could say that, yeah. 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 So you took the break, you were still buying. When did you start? When did you get the itch to start playing again? Well, I never lost the itch. <laughs> you always had the itch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think once a DJ, always a DJ. Yeah. Um, and if you can't make that statement with honesty, you were never a DJ in the first place. Okay. And you need to look at yourself and think, you're a fraud. <laughs> no, I mean, I genuinely, I, I believe DJs are actually born. Yeah. I don't mean in the, like you're going to be a scientist or something like that. There's something in the psyche which means you are a bit of a train spotter, you're a magpie yeah, yeah, in life, yeah. you're a collector, yeah. and also you love to see people having a great time. Yeah. And not every DJ, I'm using the inverted commas here, not every DJ I've come across in my life has all those features yeah. in their embodiment. Um, uh, and so they come and they go, but we'll come back to that maybe later. But yeah, um, early 90s, uh, Gary uh, Gary Senior, a long-time friend, uh, he, he kindly asked me to uh, join him at a place uh, called Gossips in Sheffield, okay. which was um, a tiny little bar, really, in the great scheme of things, um, on the opposite corner from Penny's, where I first started going clubbing. And I run by a couple of guys that Gary knew. Um, and it was frequented by all the footballers from Sheffield at the time, like Carlton Palmer, yeah, yeah. Uh, Brian Dean, I think, yeah. maybe. Uh, but certainly the early 90s, both in the Premier League, and uh, they all wanted to hear essentially black music. Yeah. Um, and which is fine by us. We were playing stuff like The Family Stand, yeah. uh, Get or Heaven, yeah. or uh, we were playing stuff like Staff, actually. Uh, it might seem not relevant now, but Mantronics, On Vogue, Delight. Yeah. Oh, it was a brand new tune. Yeah, yeah, wonderful. Soul to Soul, Alexander O'Neill, Luther Vandross, yeah. um, Janet Jackson. The owners, I don't think, wanted to hear that. No. But I, I, here, I have a problem with certain owners of certain venues. They have a perception of what's going to work that's completely alien to reality. Yeah. And you know what? Um, most DJs have got a decent amount of experience. Probably recognise a venue's value and where it needs its direction, where it needs to go to. Yeah. Pretty much within minutes. Yeah, yeah. Or at the least, the first night, you've got an idea of what it wants to be. Uh, but we persevered. We took all the grief. We still got paid, and we carried on filling it out. And uh, I'm grateful for Gary for involving me in that. Uh, I'm grateful to Gary for lots of things. But uh, yeah, he, he brought me back into it and. Um, uh, he introduced me to, uh, at this point, uh, a gentleman called Gary Sinclair. Okay. Who, who's uh, well known in the Sheffield area. Right. Uh, most definitely a blade, which is unfortunate. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but apart but, uh, from that. A, a good guy at heart, I think. Yeah. Um, anyway, so he, uh, he he said, yeah, I'll, I'll take you on. Essentially, there's an agency work. And uh, I think he gave me all the jobs that he didn't want to do, if I'm being really honest. Yeah. The one place in particular called the Blue Bell uh, in the south of the city. Uh, the Hackenthorpe area, actually, in Sheffield. 
uh, for anyone that knows it. Um, the Blue Bell was as rough as it comes. Okay. Um, the, the owners, their son played for Sheffield United. Right. And it was very much a split 50 50. Uh, it was like a club bar. You think back to those times, there were a lot of bars that kind of blackened everywhere, put black paint on everything, and then had like neon lights and okay. a strobe or something yeah, yeah. like that, and this big space. Uh, but um, yeah, it was interesting. So, anyway, my first night, I, I, I guess then, I'm still playing a final at this stage, even though CDs have been around for a while. And I turn up and uh, one of the turntables had only got one car. Okay. On Starlight, and I'm thinking, right, okay, well, let's be in here somewhere because yeah. how's this work? So I couldn't find it. I went up to uh, the management and go, oh, you'll be okay, just get on with it. And I'm, right. This is a microphone there, isn't it? Uh, yeah, yeah. This is, well, you was microphone in between. <laughs> okay. So this is a real baptism of fire. Yeah, yeah. I can feel the aggression in the building. Yeah. As it's that's its natural habitat. Yeah. Aggression. People were taking a lot of drugs as well. Yeah. A lot of ease going around and what have you. And I'm a little bit nervous for the first time ever in my DJ career. I'm feeling really, Just really nervous. Just what is it yeah, you yeah. want to do? Well, we want to be free. We want to be free to to do what we want to do. And we want to get loaded. And we want to have a good time. And that's what we're going to do. Away, well, baby, let's go. We're going to have a good time. We're going to have a party. Anyway, I got through it all, and I was playing stuff like Happy Mondays, uh, stuff like Loader from Primal Scream, CC okay. uh, Penniston, yeah. finally, Kim Sims, yeah. that sort of stuff. It was that, that kind of era. Era, yeah. Uh, and I don't know, you could probably imagine Beanie Hats being on Big Baggy Jeans. You remember them? Yeah. yeah. Uh, that That's the look. Uh, anyway, they asked me, or oh, they asked Gary Sinclair if I'd go back and play, so... I did it a few times, well, more than a few times. I know it's an experience, I yeah. must admit. Uh, but you have to be careful what you play. I mean, anything that resembled a football song yeah, yeah. was a, a nightmare. Yeah. Know, like, uh, I'm trying Joy to Division, Love Hotel. Yeah, the, the farm. Yeah. All together now, yeah. like, stuff like that, you, you couldn't play. Yeah. Um, and, and of course, particularly Wednesday United songs, you yeah, had to avoid. And what did you think about the, the kind of crossover again, I guess, in early 90s between like you say Happy Mondays Primal Scream alongside CC Peniston Candy Statton things like that at the time I think um, I, I felt it actually technically it was a challenge to, to go from some to others yeah while there were remixes of Primal Scream and Happy Mondays and uh, Stone Roses to work with yeah, yeah. in that environment they probably would not work yeah. in a club environment at that time most definitely yeah, yeah. Um, so it, it, it had to be real snappy mixes in and out yeah so I, um, I, I didn't really think about it too much I just got on with it 
and took delight from playing stuff like CC Penniston, which essentially was a, a new track. Uh, yep. Finally, yeah, uh, uh, and uh, rhythm is the dance and stuff like that. Yeah, you know, I'd enjoy playing them, and I'd work with the others. Now I really quite like Stone Roses. Yeah, and Happy Mondays. Yeah, um, and Primal Scream. I'd say I quite love, which is a bit bizarre okay. when you think about everything else. Yeah, yeah. that I'm into. Yeah, it doesn't sit, but I think. I think it was hearing loaded and that gospel choir and what have you just uh, got goosebumps now. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Uh, but yeah, I'm comfortable with it. it yeah. It's what I had to do. Yeah. And increasingly, as, as I went through the 90s, you'd have to find compromises more and more as musical tastes become more and more diverse and got in their own lanes. Um, um, you know. Um, I was going to say actually, I guess at the time, as as DJs and as you do with with, with the era and the, the the tunes that you're working with at that point, you you kind of work them in, you know, as you see fit, and 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 the the, the genres kind of almost blend together, possibly BPM wise, etc., to be able to keep that momentum going with more commercial. Um, Stuff or the indie indie stuff alongside the newer dance house stuff, yeah. like you say with the Candy Satins and the, the CC Penistons. I mean, I've got to say, I've been blessed in, uh, in a forty-year career. Yeah. So it's the, for the most part of that, and the latter part, the, the, the second half, of it, I, I've been able to play exactly what I want to play. Yeah. Um, and made it work. Yeah. But you know, there's a there were value doing stuff like the Bluebell in Court in Sheffield. Uh, in terms of your DJ lessons, actually learning how to be a DJ. Yeah. You, you've got a DJ in you, but you've got to learn certain things, skill sets, where you, what you just described is you make things work together. Yeah. Uh, and give it that flow. You know, it, there are certain records that don't work with certain records, and again, I come back. It, it comes from being a DJ. Yeah. You actually understand that yeah. dynamic, reading the room, understanding where you've got to be, where, how long you've got to get to yeah. a certain point, yeah. when you're going to get everyone dancing, understanding things like this, uh, and actually being able to control it, uh, uh, and it gives you an extra edge over the next DJ. Yeah, the art of DJ. The art of DJ. We spoke about um, playing in, in, in the Bluebell and um, various other places, um, blending in commercial, um, whilst still keeping your love of soul and hip-hop. Did you go into radio side? How did, how did that develop? Uh, yes, uh, I, I, I think we're looking for radio, to be honest. Uh, Although, I should say at this point, going we'll go all the way back to the start of the conversation, I mentioned Luxembourg 208 and Tony Prince. I had a love of radio from that point. Yeah. Um, 
I love radio. Yeah. I love the idea of um, talking into a microphone and playing music and embracing the listener at the other end and, yeah. you know, we'll share a love of this particular track. Yeah. Um, so around about 94, out of the blue, um, a guy called Daz Bennett that I'd known from various soul events got in touch and said, do you fancy doing a radio show on Soul Nation? Okay. Now, for anyone that doesn't know, uh, Soul Nation in Manchester uh, was a, a beast, basically. Um, it was a radio station beyond most of the commercial radio stations, but it was a pirate station. Okay. It was computerised. Right. It had adverts. It were miles in front of anyone else. Miles in front of most of the pirate stations in London at that time, truth be known. Okay. Uh, they were very, very organised. And bear in mind, this this was illegal. Yeah. The, the DTI was trying to catch them every single weekend. <laughs> uh, but they had like a 24-7, seven-day-a-week schedule. They were completely on it. Yeah. Completely on it. So when Daz kindly asked me if I'd be interested, I was like, yeah, 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 sure, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah I'll do that. Uh, so we had to work out the mechanics of it. Um, uh, well, firstly, the music of the time, uh, predominantly US artists, uh, SWV, Janae, Angela Wimbush, Anita Baker, Luther Vandross, the, uh, Leroy Hudson, Yeah. Uh, for going back a few years before that, and George Benson, that sort of stuff. That's what I, was, I wanted to play. Okay. Uh, because having spent times in Manchester, uh, not least at Park, because I got that complete Manchester sound. Um, just just different to anywhere else. Manchester's soul sound is so much different than anywhere else. Cooler, more switched on, more open-minded. Okay. Um, more so than the London sound. All right. By a long stretch. And I don't want to offend any London listeners, but Manchester was miles in front of you for years. Right. And eventually you decided, you decided to... Call all the tracks we've been playing for years Rare Groove and rebrand it. We, okay. were, we were years in front, and I'm, I'm not a Mancunian, but I felt part of the Manchester scene. So to be involved in, in Soul Nation, it was like, yes, yes. So um, I even overlooked the. I, I don't think I told my wife at the time that it was illegal. Uh, I should probably worked it out, but anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so I never actually got to the studio, which might, might be a blessing. Okay. So what I had to do is. I had to record my radio shows at home on a, on, a, on two C90 cassettes. Okay. And then I'd have to post them to a PO box in Manchester. All right. At that stage, uh, a lovely gentleman who we'll call Pat was a postman. Okay. He collected the cassettes from the from the sorting office. Yeah. Go on his rounds. Go to where the studio was that week. Very man studio moved Chains, around. Yeah. Put cassettes in. Off he'd go on his rounds, then he'd come back and then he'd pick up all, uh, sorry, swap over the cassette and then I'd be on for another half hour or so. And then he'd pick up all the messages on the answering machine. Okay. So it's an answering machine, it's it's 94. Yeah, yeah. And then he'd, 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 he'd call me on, on a landline yeah. in the evening and say, just before I went out to DJ, so I'd be like people being asking me requests and more, obviously can't do it, but like people are loving music. And I'm yeah, going, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Almost in a disbelieving way, like I, I didn't disbelieve him, I just didn't believe it could actually happen. Okay. Because it's so far fetched. Yeah. Um and 
and to a point, um, the, there is a, a book out there called, uh, it's a tomb of a book called, I think it's called Masters of the Airwaves. Um, and it's compiled by uh, David VJ and uh, Lindsay Westcott. I've been told that my contribution's actually in that book. Well, I've never actually been able to find the book to have a look for certain, so it might be hearsay. But three or four people have told me okay. it's in there somewhere. So if anyone's got a copy of the book... Well, I, I, apparently they were, it was going for 100 quid when it came out, so immediately, so I'm not okay. likely to find one, but, you, you know, it's, it's one of them things that they keep. Uh, but, yeah, it, 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 it was uh, a, a, a wonderful experience that time, and then eventually I worked out that the whole Manchester scene, people went out on Friday, Saturday night, but they went raving. Okay. Yeah, they were, they were partying properly. Yeah, yeah. And so when I'm on Saturday morning, 7 a.m., they're just getting in. They're just getting in. And some of the messages afterwards, I could relate to it a little bit. Some of the requests are a bit, you know, out there, not what I would have done anyway. But yeah. I now see it, looking yeah. looking from the outside back into it. I think that's what that's what was happening. So then um, again, Daz asked me to play with him and I think Mike Stevens, who's uh, both from uh, Soul Legends, uh, DJ Legends. Uh, and they asked me to, to go and play from uh, a venue whose name I can't remember, uh, but it was uh, on Oxford Road. Okay. Um, long room and DJ box right at the far end, and uh, I can I remember it, little doorway into DJ box and Perspex all the way around, almost like in COVID times sort of thing, but way before COVID. <laughs> anyway, so the Perspex sheeting, and you could look, obviously look through the sheeting and see the crowd. So, um, Right, you're going on in half an hour, and I'm thinking, okay, well, I'm not sure what to do with this. You know, like, I can't do it like a two-step sort of thing. Yeah. Anyway, we'll, we'll just go in. So I pulled that Donald Bird, uh, and it's got a, if you don't know it, I'm going to play it in the background. You'll probably hear it in a second. It's got like a keyboard riff to it right at the start. Right. And it's so uh, infectious. And suddenly all these hands started appearing to shake my hand yeah. over this screen like i5 in a while they're like what what is this all about <laughs> and then i realized these are these are the people that have been listening to me on soul nation all oh, right okay uh, and um it, it was wonderful I, I, I it was lovely as as nice a thing as i've experienced and there's been lots of wonderful appreciation for yeah, people yeah. over the years but just in that moment because i got no connection with anything yeah I would devoid of any connection with the people or the station or anything. I just appeared in my front room with yeah, a radio show. Yeah. Uh, to get this appreciation in that moment. Bearing in mind there was much bigger soul DJs on the scene at that time as yeah. well. Uh, you know, they were they actually opened uh, Sankey's in Manchester with a soul event the very first night in Sankey's okay. with a soul event. Right. That's how big it was in Manchester at that time. Right, okay. Um, so uh, yeah, I fully appreciate that moment. Uh, if if no other, from from a soul scene perspective, it was yeah. wonderful, really yeah. wonderful. Yeah. And then Soul Nation disappeared, and I guess the DTI co- caught up with them. I don't know. Uh, maybe they did, uh, but it, it just kind of ended. And did he carry on with the radio shows? Did you after after your? Uh, not so much later on. No. Because you're confident behind the mic. You reckon? Yeah. Um, I mean, this is, I, I said to Dave before we before we started this, it, it, I'm totally out of my comfort zone at the moment. But, but you're doing all right now. Dave, I'm, I'm okay at the moment, I think. 
But Dave, Dave just comes across when we've been doing the streaming. Obviously, a little bit later in in the interview, we'll talk about that with Soulful House DJs and the and the things that Dave's been doing for years. Always comes across as um, very confident between, behind the mic. I think again, like you, you spoke about earlier about the art of DJ, and I, I think speaking on a mic and confidently is mm. it, it is a skill in itself as, as well well uh, confidence comes from comfort I always think if you're comfortable yeah, yeah. if you're comfortable making a cup of tea you're confident you're going to make a good one I can make a good cup of tea yeah oh, we're getting there then <laughs> but I just think if you're comfortable in your, in your in your zone in your arena that you're working in yeah yeah you're going to be more confident it's just natural yeah and so um, I thank you for your comments but when I, when I I'm talking to a microphone, I'm talking to you in a microphone right now. Yeah, yeah. I'm just talking to a person. Yeah, yeah. In my mind, it was something that was taught to me years ago. Is you, when you're broadcasting, think that you're talking to one person and one person only. Yeah. Um, now in, in the world of streaming, it's a bit more difficult because you have chat boxes and you have a lot of people in there. Uh, but you get I, the interaction with that as well, I guess, as well, don't you? Yeah, and, and, and that's wonderful, and it certainly was during lockdown. Uh, but again, we'll come back to that, I'm sure. But um. In, in terms of confidence, uh, I don't actually think about it. Yeah. I just do it. Um, and, and if it's good, it's good. If it's bad, it's bad. Yeah. Um, you know, when, when it comes to actually DJing and playing music to people without a microphone, um, generally speaking, I'm comfortable with what I've done when, yeah. I, when I finish my set. Yeah. But I do know when I've not done particularly well. Yeah. I, I and I can accept it. Yeah. It'll frustrate me for a while, but I accept it. And I'm always going to be better next time because of that. Yeah. Always. Yeah. I, d- I definitely think that's the, the, the case. I'm guessing that's the case for the majority, possibly the majority of DJs that find the find the mistakes within themselves. But, you know. It's an opportunity. It's the you, nature if, of the beast, if, I if guess. Because um, if you've had a problem or an issue or um, you say it's not on as you planned you've got to learn from it yeah. otherwise you're never going to progress as a DJ yeah. you don't learn that you, you've not got some sort of progression in your set or you've not recognised a change in the audience or whatever it is if you don't learn from it you're never going to progress as a DJ in my opinion yeah. and it is only an opinion yeah So we've, we've, we've spoken about your love of um, Blues and Soul magazine earlier. Um, me and Dave have been talking, obviously, uh, pre this interview about... Um, Off-air, I think they call it. Off-air, sorry, yeah. <laughs> um, and you've spoken about your love of the Southport Weekender events. Uh, well, you know, um, I go back to the early 80s and I discovered uh, Soul events and embraced it. Uh, when I learned about Southport Weekender, uh, initially in Blues and Soul magazine, and then from my friends uh, Eric and Christine from Sheffield, um, I thought, this looks my kind of thing. Yeah. And I can't actually tell you the initial lineups, but uh, Southport Weekender, 
uh, was initially Southport. It's not anymore. Yeah. It was at the Ainsdale Ponting site, which was horrible. <laughs> um, and it always seemed to be cold day. It used to be twice a year then. It used to be in April, May, and then it used to be in November. Uh, and it never felt warm there. I didn't realise it was twice a year. Yeah. Um, and you'd have the big room, the powerhouse, yeah. which was essentially for uh, US house and garage, as it would call them. Yeah. Uh, we'd call it Soulful House now, I guess. Yeah. You'd have the funk bass, which was all the stuff that I was playing on Soul Nation. That's yeah. like sort of two-step sort of stuff, like uh, a, a bit of boogie stuff from Leroy Burgess, Luke Van Tross, uh, and slightly more underground stuff, and then stuff like SWV latterly, and the Teddy Riley sort of black street sort of sound. Yeah. Um, and then you'd have uh, a, a jazz room, a little jazz room that converted into Northern Soul now and again. Uh, and then you'd have uh, another room doing a chill out. In fact, I remember an ice room there. Actually, a room made of ice. Okay. Uh, bar was made of ice. I need to say it was selling vodka. Right. Uh, but yeah, musically, um, I can't remember exactly in the first few years who was on. I'm going to guess it would be people like um, Roger Sanchez back then. Yeah. Um, uh, Masters at Work. Masters at Work, maybe Frankie Knuckles. I remember Alexander O'Neill doing a live PA. Uh, and I can remember uh, people like Richard Serling, Colin Curtis in the funk bass. Um, a lot of the DJs, the, the soul DJs, who were playing then, are still doing it today. Right. Don't really change that much in the soul scene, the DJs. No, no. Um, but um, and you could say about the house DJs, but there have been decidedly more changes in the house lineups uh, over the years. But the powerhouse was one long room, and it was just it was a powerhouse. powerhouse. You'd have stages built halfway down where you could like, essentially podiums, yeah. for people to dance. And I can remember all the sheeting from the ceiling and the lights going, and I'm like, wow, this is just wonderful. Yeah. What I took away from it um, uh, is. Unlike commercial clubs and bars, you could talk with someone that you'd never met before in your life. Yeah. Or you could, yeah. Uh, about music and what have you. Or someone would bump into you and be like, oh, mate, let me get another pint. I'm sorry about that. Yeah, yeah. And then you'd have a conversation for an hour yeah, yeah. with that person. Uh, it was just so warm and friendly. Uh, and literally, it was quite dominated by the Northwest in terms of attendees. Yeah. The North, well, a lot of people from. London and South East that that contributed to the whole thing and you'd have sound systems around the chalet so you'd never get any sleep uh, but you didn't care. You no. really didn't care. No. Uh, I think probably my most memorable moment was uh, seeing the entire Sounds of Blackness entire choir which I think probably about 30 piece no, the entire yeah. band yeah Saturday afternoon and I cried yeah I'm an atheist yeah 
but that I mean I love gospel music but I'm an atheist which contradiction I know yeah. I realise that but uh, the whole power of it just whoa. Yeah, yeah. you wanted to hug someone yeah, yeah. and give them love it was just a wonderful feeling yeah. uh, that just uh, amazing seen so many great DJs there uh, doing the thing, Jazz Peterson, Prosimus, um, uh, I can't think of them all, they just, too many, so, yeah, too many people, memories, uh, just so many great DJs have, have gone through them doors, uh, and it kind of changed, it changed for me when it, when it moved to my head, uh, the funny thing is, so the, I started going in the early 90s, I went all the way through, pretty much, and um, I kept coming back to, to, to Sheffield and saying, and to Leeds to an extent as well, at that point, you've got to go to Southport Weekend. You'd love Southport Weekend. It's yeah. amazing. All these DJs, it's fantastic. Yeah. And you just party all the time. It's just brilliant. When you finally moved to Minehead, I'm seeing all these people from Sheffield that I've <laughs> never, ever seen at Southport Weekend ever before. Yeah. So instead of going 90 miles to to, to Ainsdale to Southport four hours <laughs> decided soon ago when it's a five hour journey and they've been told about it from other people for yeah, years yeah. I mean you know, I'm, I'm glad they finally found it I, I'm not precious in that way I'm not uh, kind of exclusive um, but um, yeah it's just a shame that they missed such great times yeah. at Ainsdale it's, it's slightly and I say this respect it's slightly it feels slightly more not commercial that'd be the wrong word but it's not as raw as what it was at Ainsdale. Okay. Um, it, it was a special experience. And friends that I met there, I've still got today. Yeah, I was uh, going to say, you, uh, you'll have met so many people there. And I've, I've been back this year for the first time since, uh, what would it be, 2013 maybe? 2014 perhaps, I can't remember. Uh, and a lot of the people that I met, all those years ago, they're still going. Still they're still going. Got yeah. the old T-shirts on from yeah, my yeah. then. All the passes. Uh, they look older. They got less hair, or <laughs> maybe put a little bit of weight on. Yeah. You know, we'll do it. Yeah. Um, but it's good to see a lot of these people. Yeah. Uh, and it was a really good time. Yeah. I must admit. Yeah. Stupidly, I've never been. I'll put it out there. The only the only time I've been to Ainsdale that um, golf course, pon- Pontins, wasn't it? The Pontins, yeah. It was a football tournament when I was fourteen, and that's it. I haven't been since. I've friends that used to go for years. I just never made shame it. Shame on you, Mr. Marshall. It'd, it'd have been perfect, I think, for me as well. But um, such is life. So you mentioned Leeds. Pick up that. Um, when did you start? Um, doing things in Leeds, going out, putting on nights. Well, um, let me think. I don't so, know if I've skipped forward a little bit or if that's kind of... Yeah, well, well 96, I, I started working for a okay. co- company in Barnsley, uh, their, their venue called Hedonism. Uh, I'd, I'd actually gone in and said, can I do a soul night? <laughs> really, a soul night in Barnsley. Okay. Okay. Uh, but they gave me Tuesday night. Um, All right, okay. Okay, that works, yeah, I'll do it. Um, and in many respects, there's a lesson learned there because I, I don't jump into things. I, I, I don't. No. Because whatever I am, whoever we are, and this includes you, 
we have to protect our brand, your mm. brand, Paul Marshall. Yeah, we have yeah. to protect it in some way. But I just thought, ah, you held a Tuesday night. Anyway, I did it for a few weeks and, you know, got a few people come through and it, it was okay. Yeah. I didn't know at that time uh, my world was going to change uh, by virtue of being in that place at that time. And that's another significant point is you can put yourself in places and positions where it's an opportunity waiting, but you just don't know it's an opportunity. Yeah, yeah. So in the background, they decided to buy what was nightclub of the year in Leeds, uh, Club NATO. Okay. Uh, They won an award for club of the year. They got uh, one of the best sound systems around at that time. In fact, it even had its own little room, the size of most people's lounges or kitchen. Yeah. Which was the amp room. Yeah. It was so... it, It was... Achieve, trying to achieve or aim, I believe, the, the, the sound that the Paradise Garage had achieved yeah. in New York yeah. you know, like many years before. Hard, uh, hard Times was there on Saturday nights. Hard Times Unbelievable was there, yes. sound Steve, system. Steve brought Hard Times to, yeah, yeah. to NATO. So, um, they called me in and said, right, we've got this club, uh, we want you to do what you do here on a Tuesday on a Thursday night. Would you do it? I went, well, yeah, okay. I'll sort out a name or something, get back to us, introduce you to the manager, and we'll do it. Okay. <laughs> uh, literally. So we called it Real Flavour. Okay. Which was cool then. Sounds a bit nasty. But, um, we started on Thursday nights, and we did the little, um, what I call it, the library room. I can't remember if it's that, that's its actual name. I think look. it was called a library room, yeah. I think. I seem to call it having fake books yeah, or bookshelves yeah. over near a fireplace yeah, yeah. or whatever. And week on week, it got busier and busier, and lots of students, lots of nationalities, yeah. uh, predominantly female. But I, I got focused, I, I, I didn't want to be like other R&B nights at yeah. the time. When I say R&B, R&B at the time was stuff like uh, Lauren Hill, yeah. Uh, next, very vocal oriented, very gospel R and B, Black yeah. Street, you know, like Mary that, J, Mary J Blige, yeah. that sort of stuff, yeah. Uh, and Biggie Smalls as well. Although yeah, I yeah. didn't play an awful lot of hip hop, but yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, I wanted it to be warm and friendly and nice. I also wanted to do it in a really sort of like New York style, which to explain um, the New York scratch DJs are for, for many years at that time have been quick on a mix, yeah. You know, I can't scratch. No. After 40 years of DJing, I can't scratch. I don't profess <laughs> to. No. You know, I just can't do it. But what I can do is mix. Yeah. I can beat mix pretty well. Yeah. So from a technical point of view, and bear with me if you're not particularly DJ-led or not technical, uh, on the front of a record, on a house record in particular, you've probably got at least 16, maybe 32 beats to work with, to yeah. mix in with. On an R&B track, you've probably got four, and if you're really lucky, eight clean beats to yeah. work with. So that, that's a really quick transition from one record to another. But I wanted to do it. Yeah. So I thought, that's what I'm going to do. We'll jump in. Now, the DJ box in that little room was no wider than the average bath, yeah. actually. So I could get a record <laughs> box down my right-hand side, a record box down my left-hand side, and a record bag on a shelf. And if I wanted to, you're going to have to imagine this, but if I wanted to reach down for a record, I had to slide me hand <laughs> down my leg and kind of look and put a torch down to the record box and pick one out. Yeah, yeah. Put a record on the turntable and where you go. So it, it was uh, 
difficult. So still vinyl as well? Still vinyl. Right. A little bit CD, but predominantly yeah, yeah. vinyl, yeah. Uh, and indeed, I used to carry two record boxes. I carry two record boxes, one over my shoulder. Yeah, yeah. And if there wasn't a parking space outside, <laughs> my mood was like thunder. Yeah, yeah. And my bike was worse. Uh, but yeah, we did this, um, and suddenly we started getting people from what well, was Kiss 105 in Leeds they'd become Galaxy 105 all the DJs presenters from there yeah. they popped down uh, and they've gone into the bigger and brighter things footballers like uh, Brian Dean uh, Marwood Tom uh, Palmer yeah. uh, I and certainly <laughs> um, I got told Spice Girls had just walked in by one of them and went yeah whatever yeah. and then I'm looking and I've got Destiny's Child on or something like that and Sure enough, there they were dancing. Um, so it, it became a magnet, and uh, in fact, I mentioned Destiny's Child. I've got to mention uh, Niven and Steve Ripley uh, from from Sony Music. They actually did offer to do a PA with a new band called Destiny's Child. Would we have room for them? We hadn't got any room for them. It was such a tight little room. Yeah, I mean, we could have probably accommodated him. In hindsight, I wish I had done. Uh, but yeah, they, they were wonderful guys, Steve Ripley and Niven. Uh, and Jamie Topham at Arista as well, all the BMG stuff. Uh, they used to help us out with promo stuff and T-shirts. Yeah. And uh, but it was a place to be. Uh, and you know, like, I look back, uh, well, at the time, I feel a little bit bitter because every time I opened a magazine, mentioned leads an R&B, it'd be a fruit cupboard. Yeah. Which, you know, they were doing the wrong thing. Yeah, That's yeah, fine. Yeah. But they got all the plaudits. And, you know, like, we were doing a midweek thing and filling it out every single week. But like, I, it sounds, it sounds bit. I weren't, I weren't bit. I was just a bit frustrated that we've, we've got something really special. Yeah, yeah. You know, in a, in a time where you're up in DJ mag or mix mag at that time, you know, like the brands that got the biggest shouts got the biggest audiences that got the biggest shouts that got the biggest uh, that rotation. That was the internet of the day. Yeah, and I, I kept thinking, it's that big room next door? We could do something with it. And what was in the the main room? Uh, well, nothing for, for a few years. Then uh, a gentleman called Mr. Lee Wright appeared. Okay. Um, yeah, he, he wanted to bring, uh, he approached the management, he wanted somewhere for his stush night, which was, in fairness, a stroke of genius at the time. Yeah. yeah. Um, every week, something different. Um, it'd be Goldie one week, or Joe Shores next week, okay. Roger Sanchez following week. Yeah, yeah. It literally, it was just the, the biggest and the brightest, but it aimed at a student market, uh, and it, it, its vision was superb. However, within that vision, it didn't include real flavour or me, uh, initially anyway. And um, I, I think I had to fight with management a little bit to, to keep it, and so you've got to tell them you've got to keep it on, it's a good thing, but you know, yeah, yeah. you're ashamed to throw it away. Uh, and then I think he came in a few times before they started and then decided, oh, we'll keep it. And um, yeah, it worked because we've got a, a, a second room. You remember R&B in the late 90s, Will yeah, Smith, yeah. And Destiny's Child, all that. It was so student-led, yeah. as was the other things that he was doing for students, musically. So it, it worked together really well for yeah. that period of time. Yeah. I think we finished... Uh, I'm trying to think, probably about 2001. So I'd, I'd done every Thursday in that period, uh, right up to 2001. But I'm just delighted that I've been able to do such a, a friendly and happy R&B vibe. Uh, it was champagne R&B before they'd even invented it. You yeah. Know? Uh, uh, and lastly, you'd have 
P. Diddy doing a, a video with champagne and brandy and big cigar and what have you. Well, we're kind of doing it to a student market already. Um, so it, it kind of like a, a, a weird reverse fit. Yeah. We didn't have any problems, uh, although I did come close one time, uh, and uh, if anyone's heard this story before, it's still, as it was, still the same true story. So uh, this this gentleman um, came in and uh, walked in and said, uh, "When you're playing Tupac, well, I'm not a big fan of Tupac." Yeah. And it has tended to attract, unlike Biggie Smalls, kind of I did also up happy New York style vibe. Yeah. Tupac really did bring a bit more of a low down LA sort of feel to the music. Yeah, yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and it brought a certain character out. Um, and I said, no, it's not going to happen. And we had really tight security. Uh, I don't know how he got in, but he got in. So he says, he, he opened his jacket and he says, will this make a difference? And I looked inside his jacket and he's got a gun. Uh, what I perceived to be a gun, whether it real or not, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. It didn't really matter. And I, I, thought, I said, mate, you're either going to use it or you're not, but you're not going to hear Tupac in here tonight. Yeah. So he gave me the load of... And I'm like, ah, this could be my last set, this. <laughs> anyway, I, I, I'm carrying on. I'm still reaching down my left leg and my right leg to get records out and carrying on. <laughs> and I'm still thinking he's going to come back in. And I'm, I couldn't find any security anywhere. Yeah. But then also... It, thought, as always is the case. This is the thing. I'm thinking, right, if security come in and that is a gun, that's going to make a horrible scene. And then uh, which way are we going to jump with this? And he's walking back towards me, and I'm thinking, you know, here we go, here, here we, go. we go. So I thought, I'll put the next record on, it's a good one, yeah. So I thought, it's fine, yes. Yeah, the last record's a good one. Thankfully, last record I ever play, here we go. <laughs> and he, he got a brandy in his hand, and he passed me brandy. And he said, You've got some big balls, man. <laughs> big balls. And I said, Okay, thank you very much. I went, No two pack? I went, No two pack. <laughs> and I didn't play any two pack. And off he went. <laughs> You're still alive to look the time. And I'm still alive today. <laughs> it's one of the things, you know, I've never really had many problems with people because um, I treat people as human beings and I'm, I try to be warm. I mean, I've got the straightest face ever. Yeah. I'm always smiling inside. I'm happy inside most of the time. Uh, but I've got a straight face. Yeah, yeah. So it does, I look quite severe to some people, perhaps. Okay. I don't know. I've never had really pro any problems, and you know, you might say I got out of that one. One of my life's gone, maybe. Uh, but there haven't been an awful lot of issues. No, it's, it's rudeness in people that gets gets me, yeah. and it's actually reversed because it's not them coming towards me aggressively. Generally speaking, it's the rudeness and yeah, lack yeah. of understanding of what's 
We don't read a room and they expect you to do, you'll understand this, they expect you to do what they want there and then. Yeah. I, 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 it's a bit selfish, you know, like, recognise there's lots of people dancing and having a good time. Yeah. And that gets me a little bit uh, aggressive, probably, but a little bit angry. Yeah. I think, I think that's, I, that, that's definitely the most disappointing thing when, when you're DJing, that, 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 that there's almost like an entitlement that they're, they're in the bar that you're playing at and that you need to... Yeah, it, it suddenly becomes their bar. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's probably frustration rather than angry, anger and... Um, it's just a thing. It's just, it's just annoying. really annoying. It is. Late mid late 90s, um, we've got the real flavour going on, which is the R&B sound. Um, were you still into the house scene, uh, dance scene at that point? Uh, well, most definitely, yeah. Um, so the same company that owned NATO opened uh, a bar, or bar one in Rotherham of all places. Okay. Um, um, very modern looking. Very airy, very open. Um, it was a time that uh, Galaxy 105 were banging out dance music, house music. Yeah. Radio 1 was playing house music. Yeah. And um, we'd not actually been given a brief as such, uh, musically. Um, I just They just asked me to, to go there uh, and DJ it. And I think they got confidence from what I was doing in Leeds, but they didn't, they didn't want R&B thing, so it's very specialised. Just fair enough. Um, and is this a weekend? Saturdays, Fridays, Saturdays? I've done Fridays, Saturdays, Mondays. Right. Um, Monday used to be a huge night in Rotherham. Right. Uh, Rotherham okay. used to be, I mean, party central. Okay. If you drive through it now, you wouldn't believe it. Yeah, yeah. But it was. People come from all over Yorkshire to, to, to Rotherham. I saw Bar 1 open. Mezzanine floor dropped down into this big sound system, one bar. I was just playing what I instinctively thought was was right, and I got a manager at the time that was supporting me. Yeah. Um, and oh, keep on doing what you're doing. And the first few weeks were a bit odd. So, like, you're thinking, rather than being brought up on a diet of like hearing um, two could play that game, and yeah. you know, all that pop, take that sort of sound yeah, yeah. and all that sort of stuff. So, for us to do predominantly. I'm going to call it house music, but dance music yep. thing. Uh, and put it into perspective, it'd be stuff like, uh, I'll be playing Morales Needing You, and yep. Funky Green Dogs Fired Up, uh, Bob Sinclair, uh, Jim Tonic. Um, Stardust, things like that. Later Stardust, yep. yeah. Uh, uh, Neil Lennon Kane, Beach Ball. Okay. Some of the things that were slightly, uh, like a dub fire sort of sound. Yeah, time. yeah. Uh, like Hideaway, um, yeah, 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 that sort of sound, and of course, stuff I've been playing for, for years then, uh, CC Penis and that sort of stuff, yeah. But I, I was really, really lucky to be on uh, some of the strongest mailing lists around at the time. So, uh, Hyper Power AMPN uh, Manifesto, I was getting and then defected. Um, so, I was playing stuff that people were hearing on Pete Song's show and Danny Rampling's Danny Rampling, show, yeah. 
Um, and they, they were hearing that as they're getting ready, and they were coming into bar one and yeah. hearing it then. Um, when I say we used to have queues to get into this bar, we used to have queues bigger than what the club did down the road. Okay. I'm going to call it the zone in Rotherham. I can't remember what it's called actually, but anyway, it used to be Tiffany's, it became this other club. Okay. We actually had queues getting in. Yeah. Uh, and then we did have a conversation with one of them, the owners, uh, and he actually started a conversation while I'm mixing, which, like, uh, <laughs> mate, you've got this completely wrong. We do not have a conversation while I'm mixing. Very many buzz on vinyl. So we took it outside, and the manager came up, he saw us, clocks went outside. And he says, oh, I'm, I'm not so sure about the music. Okay. Uh, well, what, what's wrong? It's working. Figures are good, aren't they? I said, yeah, yeah, but I don't know most of the stuff. And I said, that so tells me more about you than what it does about the music. Yeah, yeah. Because the music's working. Yeah. And he said, cool, cool, could we change? I went, no. I said, but it's, it's my venue. I said, what's it doing? Sack me. So I said, Gavin killed. No, 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 no. It's working. Yeah, yeah. You give us eyes for targets, whatever. I can't remember what he said. He said, but we'll keep, we're going to keep on doing what we're doing. He says, well, well, we'll give it a few weeks. Anyway, they kept lifting the target and lifting the target, and we kept knocking it out of the park, knocking it out of the park. And just carried on and carried on. To a point, you, you couldn't move in this place. Yeah, yeah. Uh, sound system were banging out. You couldn't hear each other at the time. People didn't think about hearing and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah. You couldn't hear each other talk. And uh, we kind of got a year in, and then uh, you know when the owners start bringing the wives and the girlfriends to the place and the friends, that yeah, it's, it's apparently quite a success because they play house and dance music. Yeah, okay. Yeah. All uh, right. Okay. <laughs> Whatever. And uh, so uh, we just kept on doing what we're doing, and like people come and say, "I wish we had something like this in our city. We've got nothing like this. Yeah, absolutely yeah. wonderful." Uh, uh, and yeah, uh, it, it was brilliant. And um, so I'm having a conversation with one of the owners, directors, one day, and uh, so oh, we made a great success this place, bar one, haven't we? Haven't we made it a great success? And I'm not one to take credit for for things, uh, and I don't go looking for it, and never yeah. go looking for it. But in this moment, I'm thinking, right, okay. So bear in mind, this this place, it's all glass, okay. It's it's has a sun on it pretty much all day. So yeah. there'd be a sweat box inside, no air conditioning. Yeah. The toilets never worked. <laughs> it's stunk as shit in there. Sorry for using that word, but <laughs> it's stunk as shit. Because toilets were always blocked. It had its own colony of flies. <laughs> Most of the fridges didn't work. And to me that means there must be one one factor that keeps people coming back in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I said, hold on a minute, yeah. So I explained all them things to him and said, there's only one reason why people can come back in. It's the music. Yeah. And you've already tried to change it once, but now you're taking credit for it being a success. Yeah. I think you need to back off from this conversation a little bit. And we were left alone then till I think, uh, 2001, where they wanted to change it again. Okay. But we had we had uh, we had video screens up, and we had Ibiza uncovered on the video screens. Right. And not not everyone had got Sky back then. Yeah. It was on Sky initially. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, and it, we just embraced that sort of like Ibiza spirit that, that I'd remembered. But I'd still needed to go back again, yeah. uh, and I would do again at a, a later stage. 
But yeah, um, it was uh, a unique part of my life. Yeah. Uh, so I'm doing this Friday and Saturday playing house music. On a Thursday night, I'm in Leeds doing Real Flavor. Yeah. Uh, doing the R&B thing. Um, and I embraced both. I enjoyed both. I could do things that I wanted to do. Yeah. Uh, and very, very lucky. Uh, yeah. The point I made earlier on is I've been blessed to be able to play the music I want to play through the majority of my career uh, and that was one point that eventually left her own devices to do what I want and made it work yeah trust your DJ trust your DJ yeah I, yeah because regardless, regardless of a manager or a senior management lower management or whatever if it's a music driven venue the DJ's captain of your ship and yeah. he'll navigate it to where it needs to be yeah and we, we used to have competitions me and my manager as to what figure would take that night, yeah, uh, and I used we used to love it. We used to love it because we were both very competitive people. Yeah, uh, but we're, everyone winning, everyone winning. Yeah, unfortunately, a lot of places don't um, they don't quite embrace what the uh, the, the DJ input is is do they the the kind of see a vision that they want and unfortunately they yeah. run with that before asking or, or getting advice or understanding what well, we've it all, is all worked in, well I certainly have um, I'm not mentioned by the way I'm not mentioned an awful lot of venues that I've worked in because it becomes boring but um, you, you walk in and they've got this idea this perception and you think okay now naively probably I think this, this perception this idea that they've got has got a, a one-year plan, mm. yeah. But their business plan is built around being hugely successful in, in like three weekends, yeah. Not three months or six months. So the first thing to change, well, obviously it must be music. Yeah, it's got to be music, can't it? Yeah. Obviously, yeah. yeah. So we'll, we'll, we'll go, we'll do a detour, we'll take a sharp right, and we'll actually go bending left, and that, that'll change everything. Mm. And you know for a fact that venue's going to be closed by end of year. Yeah. And I'm afraid to say it's happened far too many times when I've started somewhere, walked away from the situation because I've gone on a different angle, and yeah, for sale sign up. Yeah. And it's unfortunate. Yeah. It's unfortunate. Yeah. So you you you've run uh, Real Flavor at NATO till early 2000. Same with Bar One. So what happened? Where do you go from there? So. Um, Kind of early 2000s at this stage. Um, I've had enough of doing NATO, uh, and the, I'd had about four different managers in about as many weeks at bar one and another, <laughs> all, all having different ideas. Um, so I, uh, I'm fairly certain I walked away from both, but uh, overlapping that, um, I'd, I'd started working. Um, well, I actually, I, I stayed in Leeds and did the R&B thing at the Ark in Edinley. Uh, a former employee of mine from years ago rang me up and said, oh, I've got this bar in Edinley, you come and DJ, and I got this vision of this scrappy little bar. Anyway, I turned up, it happened to be the Ark, it had just opened. Okay. Uh, uh, if anyone's seen the Ark in Edinley, it's quite imposing as, as a yeah. venue anyway. Yeah. Uh, so I was delighted to, to do that for him. Uh, uh, but also, I'd, I'd been invited by some, some guys that I knew in Sheffield, 
to do uh, a, a brand new venue, a place called Brown Street in Sheffield. Okay. So uh, they wanted to do what they wanted to do. Uh, bear in mind that like Gatecrasher and Bed are open this time, and like they got the world's best of the best DJs, like Paul Van yeah. Dyke and one on yeah. and Master at Work at the other venue on the same night. Yeah. They were like proper sweeping up in Sheffield. Uh, and I, I said, yeah, okay, I, I like competition, let's do this. Uh, so I got involved with them. Um, so they, they did Fridays and Saturday nights, and, uh, and I can't remember which was which, but one night was called Quality, and I can't remember the other But one of the nights, we got Soulful House upstairs, essentially House and Soulful House upstairs. Yeah. Downstairs was that, so like what, what London they give us as Red Group, but like James Brown sort of thing, a bit of Michael Jackson, okay. uh, Gwen McRae, yeah. that, that real funk thing, Fat Bike, I Found Love In. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just a funky group, yeah? Um, and it, it was great, it was brilliant, lots of well turned out people in this wonderful Bauhaus design building. Just superb. Yeah. It, it all fitted. Uh, and we had great times here. Super times. Uh, I loved it. I loved it. Uh, uh, I'm grateful to Kerry and Nathan for involving me, and, and Greg Robinson as well, uh, for including me in that at that time. I met uh, lots of amazing people. Uh, we're still friends today. What, one of the things that crossed my mind, uh, and you, you as our DJ will remember these, the, the first egg candy CDs that came out. Definitely. Where you had one side of essentially a soulful house, the soulful lyric sound line, where you see the more, uh, not down, down tempo, but more, a more soul funky groove sort yeah. of thing. And I said to, I said to the guy, I said, you know what, have you seen this egg candy thing? Yeah, 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 yeah. The house side of things, it reflects what I've just got on vinyl for previous week. Yeah. And it all comes out in the CD. It's brilliant. Uh, but I think it's a good fit for what we do with our, our visual aspects um, and, and music upstairs and downstairs and their visual aspects. Maybe should bring them in as a, as a guest event. Right. Uh, yeah, do it. Do it. Are you going to do it? I'll do it. I'll sort it out. So I got in touch with Jazz FM. Who, we're running the Ed Candy radio shows that Mark Doyle was presenting at that time. Yeah. And uh, I got through to a, a, a chat, we'll call him John for argument's sake. And um, I said, uh, John, we, we, I work at this event in Sheffield and we love the Ed Candy product, the radio show and the CDs that you brought out. Um, but we, we, we wonder if you'd be interested in doing an event within what we do yeah. as like a guest event. So he said, oh, that, that sounds interesting. I said, well, why don't you come across, see what you think, come to Brown Street in Sheffield and um, see what you think of the people, see if it's a good fit. Yeah. And he said, oh, yeah, yeah, okay. I said, let Mark know, you know, what score is. And, uh, you know, both come along if you want. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he said, right, okay. So anyway, I, I was busy on the, on the day. So the guys took him out, John, we call him. We were on his own, no Mark Bell. And winding and dining, what have you, and took him to night and he brought some CDs and t-shirts and what have you, yeah, and yeah. candy on it. And they were going, look at me, and had candy t-shirt. <laughs> like, That's cool, because it was, you know, it was like G-Star at that time, early 2000s. It was cool as G-Star was yeah, right yeah. then. Um, so, it had been a really good night. So, I left it till the Tuesday and I rang up Chaz FM. Oh. So, 
what do you think? So oh, you got a brilliant idea. Oh, yeah. that's such a good time. Yeah. Music spot on. Looked after me. Wow, you looked after me. What a great night. I said, so I, do, you, do you think you'd like to do an Egg Candy event? He says, well, David, it's like this, you see. Um, we never intended doing any Egg Candy clubbing events. I went, pardon? <laughs> yeah, we, 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 it's not really on his agenda. We, we don't plan to do it. Yeah, yeah. I said, but you, 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 you're playing club music on a radio show. I'll announce classics and, and disco and funk and what have you. But you're not wanting to go the next level. No, there's, there's, Jazz FM have got no plans to do that. Right? Yeah. I went, okay, thanks very much. I put food down the phone. That's just a bizarre. Just, yeah, why would you, in, in, a, in a world where it's, everything's about clubbing, you know, like, even t- uh, uh, adverts on TV about, you know, the Embrace Clubland, Ministry of Sound yeah. this and Cream this and Gatecrash of that. But it was their image as well that, that, that was striking as well. Yeah, they've got, they got everything going on. Yeah. So I went back to guys' room. They don't want to do it. I went, yeah. what? What? I went, I'm sorry, but they just don't want to do it. Yeah. So uh, we carried on doing what we were doing. And then later that year, a candy appeared at Bed in Sheffield. And they all went, well, you said they weren't out. I went, listen, that's what, <laughs> they, that's what they told me. They didn't want to do it. Yeah, yeah. So I uh, fast forward. 20 years later and Egg Candy are doing events at the Beach Star in Ibiza and I knew Mark Bell would be there and uh, I thought I've got to pick my moment and I've got to pick my thought process properly because otherwise it'll sound like I'm bitter and I didn't want to do that and he's a, a lovely chap Marcus um, he's like a box of fireworks or a bottle of lemonade should put his his, his his big, his persona's massive, and I didn't want to upset him. Not least there were guests at the beach there, so I said, um, so I, I told him the story. Yeah, this yeah. is mate. Listen, I think I know what you're talking about. One of the biggest freeloaders at Jazz FM, <laughs> but he never told me anything. I swear he didn't tell me anything. Yeah, this is. But we were looking actively looking in Sheffield and Leeds for somewhere to put on his very first day candy events. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he said, but you were obviously in front of us all. And I went, well, once I were in front, but I could see it's, it's, it, the product was yeah, perfect yeah. for clubs. Yeah, yeah. I said, and, and then next thing we know, you're at bed. <laughs> he said, well, look, I, I, it is what it is. It's all history now. Yeah, but yeah. I, I'd, I'd have loved to have done something with it, especially like, you know, knowing you now and what have you. Yeah. We'd have loved to have done it. So, uh, yeah, um, almost got egg candy first, but not quite. Not quite. Oh well. So from from that point, um, it must have been around about that time that that hustle came around, which was yeah. Your it was, night. It was a few year, years later, I kind of I was I'm trying to think what I would be doing at that time. Um, so I think uh, probably in between stuff. Um, it's back 2001, 2002. Definitely DJ, but I just can't think where. Uh, but yeah, 2000, late, late 2002, I went into Paul Cox's record shop in Sheffield in Richard Square, uh, which he'd had for a few years. Uh, and I'd known Paul on and off for a few years anyway, because he played at Brown Street as well. Yeah. Uh, and I said, oh, well, we're just talking music and 
opp- lack of opportunities for DJs. Yeah. Uh, and I think he saw me as someone that would DJ near there and everywhere, which I were, but I weren't doing exactly what I wanted at that time because Brown Street had now finished. Okay. And um, they were they were trying somewhere else. I think it was Charles Street. Could have got that wrong, but anyway. Um, and I said, like, well, maybe we should do it ourselves. And he went, well, we're not going to get a look at a gatecrasher or a bed. And, you know, that's all tough. Sort of out. Uh, he said, most of the DJs come here by the records, but I don't, I don't get lucky. No. So we might as well do it ourselves. So, right, I'm on it. And I tried various venues around the city and uh, just hitting brick walls, basically. Yeah. And the last on the list was a place called Dot Zero. Now, Dot Zero was uh, renowned for. We call them cheap and nasty R&B nights. And I, I say that carefully, but it, it weren't a product as such. Yeah. And also for baseline, okay. which is rarely a product. You know, it's not that. It wasn't that far away from where Niche was. Yeah. And Niche had closed, I think, so we can embrace that. Okay. And there were, there were various baseline events there, but it was kind of place that what I deemed, and also Paul's deemed as our, our demographic, our profile customer. They weren't going that venue. No. But I were down to the last venue. The last anyway, I contacted them and I worked what for Gap of all places, set up a phone call. And this lady's asking me questions and like, like what what you're wanting to answer. I wanted it to be a glamorous house event, like you see elsewhere, like this money pens, like you know, something glamorous, a bit of egg candy if you will. Yeah, yeah. That, that's what I perceived that's exactly what we're looking for okay I went right okay okay come and see us but you've got it I went right okay so I rang Coxie up I said right I found this venue oh, where, where, where is it I went <coughs> yeah, what, where <coughs> dot zero where I went dot zero in where <laughs> we can't go there I said we can we can make it what we want it to be It'll be all about a product. We'll make the product look good. We'll make it look pretty. We'll make it look girly. We'll make it look whatever you want it to look. But we'll, we'll change people's perceptions of the venue. Yeah, yeah. That's the important thing. But we'll, it'll be about the music. And we'll be doing what we want to do. Yeah. So, right, okay. So, uh, off we went. And we started in March the following year. This first lot of posters was something like Zoom Magazine or Nuts Magazine. I found this... <laughs> Right, right there wrongly, I found this photographer that did a lot of nude stuff. Yeah. Uh, but beautifully photographed in, in, in monotones. Uh, and I loved it. And where this, I think it might be an aerial as a font for Hustle to start with. And uh, anyway, uh, we went with it. Now, Dot Zero's got a lot of bus shelters outside this bus stop. And uh, we've got this giant poster. <laughs> I mean, the huge poster in window. The huge windows, the yeah, white yeah. out windows, but a huge poster. Of this naked lady. Yeah. We also logo. Anyway, if, if you're a marketing person and you, you want to draw attention to something, let me tell you, nude is the first way to draw attention works. to yourself. <laughs> I, get, I get this phone call. We've got to take posters down. I went, why? What's wrong with them? We've had complaints from people at bus stop because a <laughs> lady's got uh, a breast out. I said, well, what's the problem? Yeah, well, people are complaining. I said, well, essentially, you only see a breast when you can see a nipple. So. Yeah. I'll come down and take nipples out and it'll be fine. Like, no, you're not going to do that. You're going to take posters down and we're going to look at a different design. Right, okay. 
so yeah we had to close the first few posters down and then uh, I thought right let's give it a bit of a glitzy look and uh, that's when we changed this logo yeah but uh, we changed uh, by that I think we changed the perception of the venue okay um, the venue in fairness were doing all the good to you know they were updating sound equipment uh, they were helping us so like uh, make it feel more glitzy glamorous I don't know what you call it yeah but we were getting a, a, a glamorous crowd so we started I mean, maybe 250, 300 people for the first time. I think it was me, Coxie and Watty. Uh, I could be wrong. Then we added Adam and Nathan, but we also booked the audio horse. Yeah. And I've been trying and trying and trying and trying to book a biggish name. But unless you'd already booked a DJ of repetition, uh, reputation, I should say, then you were never going to get booked that DJ. Okay. Well, I just went around in circles. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, thankfully, the audio horse, thank you guys. Uh, said yeah and we had them on and I think we probably got about 300 in for that one okay but we made enough money to go a bit further so we went to Graham Park needed just a really good deal thank you Graham and we got I think about 500 in and then it started snowballing and and so um, I feel naive about it now but we actually went with the momentum of the audience Okay. And what they were talking about, and what you should have this on, you should have that on. This is so much better than bed. It's better than Gatecrasher. We want this DJ, we want that DJ. And I'm thinking, we can't afford masks at work. We'll, we'll set out with about 250 quid between us. Masks yeah, yeah. at work ain't gonna happen. No, no. Uh, and uh, you know, like Roger Sanchez, we couldn't do that. And so we had, we had to aim a little bit lower. And uh, bear in mind, music play will. I mean, I love I love the music all the time. At that time, I was playing John Cutler, It's Yours, Soul Searcher, all the Dave Lee stuff, Purple Music stuff, yeah, yeah. Mass at Work stuff. Uh, that was the sound. But we ju- we just did it bit by bit by bit. Um, and the fact that that bed had closed unexpectedly on New Year's Eve, two thousand and three, I think it was. Uh, that was the last night, right? Candy night, ironically. Okay. So we got an, uh, an audience that were looking for that kind of music. So it just fell just really nicely. Yeah. And um, yeah, we, we we had a Sigram Park. Bobby and Steve were as residents for one year. Uh, we had Phil Asher. Rest in peace, Phil. Yeah. Slamming Boys, John Julius Knight from Florida. Yeah. Uh, East Smooth. Uh, Tom right. Wainwright as well. Yeah. Harry Chandler. We did uh, defective parties, we did subliminal parties. Uh, I lose track how many DJs we had on at that time, but it, it just grew to a point um, where we're like, I, we had Dave Lee on actually, and I, I remember standing on the balcony. I, I didn't, I, ironically, I didn't do, do that much DJing. We put it on to DJ, okay. but like Coxie was the host person, I was the organiser, and I spent most of the time going front door. Desk, office, front door, desk, office. Check the DJs, go to train station, go to hotel, pick DJ. You know, I'd be doing all these things and I don't I don't begrudge anyone, you know, I, it was my choice to do that. Um, but yeah, I didn't get to do much DJing, but I, yeah, we had Dave Leon. And I remember walking on the balcony and just standing there and embracing yeah. it. And um, it was just We've done it. This is it. Yeah. I think we're about six, seven hundred people. And just, wow, that's really some big, cool. big DJs there, though. Yeah, big, big DJs. Well, I, uh, I, I took Coxie into putting uh, 
not just Danny Rampin on, on one boxing day, but uh, DJ Disciple from New York as well. Okay. I think he's giving me a bullet to What do you want? I said, no, it'd be, it'd be brilliant, because Danny Rampin was a height of yeah, Saturday night, yeah. Radio 1. Yeah. Danny Rampin, that was it. That was what we were, Danny Rampin. We were Love Buzz Hustle. It, it just cross-pollinated that audience, just what it was, what yeah. we were. And DJ Disciple, bless him, always used to pay for his own flights across and just okay. look for bookings across Europe. Right. And I think you were quite big on the back of track called Yes at the time, but I could be wrong. So anyway, we put them on. Yeah. We did it. And um, one thing that Sheffield, I, I learned during that time, is people don't buy tickets. Okay. They just don't <laughs> buy tickets. So we put tickets on sale, be- partly because it was Boxing Day, yeah. and you know, like people might just want to make sure they got a ticket. Yeah, yeah. So it got to Christmas Day, and we sold ten tickets. Oh, no. And I, I wouldn't say I was avoiding coats. I, I just, <laughs> I didn't ring him up. Yeah. <laughs> I just avoided contact. <laughs> like, Whoa, it's gonna kill me. Anyway, um, I can't remember the exact figure. I think I might have written it down somewhere, but I think there were about 700 people in that paid Brilliant. on the door Brilliant. with an extra premium on top. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and that was such a party. Yeah. Such a party. Uh, and I, I, I loved it because, you know, as a promoter, and I fell into promoting. Yeah. This went by design. I fell in out of necessity. Yeah. But as a promoter, which I, I think I call myself on that, to actually see so many people having a good time, smiling, pausing yeah. there, laughing, joking, hugging. It's, it's just uh, and some music that you love yeah. it's just wow it's just the best feeling yeah. ever uh, just just wonderful and um, yeah uh, I, I carry those moments uh, at, at that period in time for us anyway yeah. it, it was special um, and how long did how long did that continue? well it was only a short period of time and I, and I I think I really worked it out, but uh, we, we started in March 2003, um, and we've done by 2005 at, at that particular venue. In between time, we've, we've changed his musical direction somewhat. Uh, I've been to Ibiza, our and my mates, and I was doing it two or three times a year. Uh, but I went to we went to space, and um, I love space. I, I really love space because mm. you've got every kind of people there. Stuff, yeah. so you've got like a millionaire with three models or, or ladies of the night whatever with some scruff in his flip flops and ripped t-shirt and you know <laughs> you have a young couple together on the honeymoon yeah, yeah. Uh, all in that one space in space yeah. just brilliant yeah. but anyway we've gone in and it, it were uh, nasty dirty sex music which with Tim Sheridan yeah. who was from Leeds and Smoking Joe yeah. and we were all new experience for some of the nights they left early very electronic, very yeah. powerful, yeah. and I'm looking around and thinking, you know what, I haven't heard any soul searcher all weekend, I haven't heard any big vocals, I haven't heard any gospel no. sounding house music, the world's changing, we need to change. Yeah, there were a definite change in yeah. sound at and, that uh, point. Tim played uh, Sick, My Washing Machine's Broke, which is a ridiculous track, yeah. by any means, but infectious. And the place erupted. And I went, right, okay. okay.
So I got back and I said, Coxie, we're right, we need to change things. You know, what, what? I said, well, what sort of record are you selling? He says, well, what, what's this like? Dub fire, that, that electronic sound. Yeah. Uh, and I went, well, there you, there you go. I yeah. Said, you, you'll not sell as much um, sulfuric now as what you did probably. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, he said, right, okay, well, let's try it out. So I said, right, we'll, we'll book Nasty Dirty Sex Music. He went, okay. We kind of rebranded slightly. I can't remember. Oh, we actually called it Filthy. Okay. And straight after, a Filthy appeared in Leeds. All right. Or Filth, I can't remember. Anyway, anyway, we went for it. And they, they loved artwork, both uh, Tim and, and Joe. And they got really good press and what have you. Uh, and it was on a bank holiday weekend. I think it was the first May bank holiday weekend of that year. Yeah. And Gatecrash hadn't put anything on, and I kept thinking... Like Gatecrasher really didn't like us. We were we were thrown in their side. I think. Okay. Not least because of some of the rumours I heard at that time about this flyers disappearing, these posters disappearing, and club wars. Club wars, yeah. Uh, I I can't confirm that was the case, but yeah. Anyway, then with two weeks to go before Bank Holiday, they suddenly announced Roger Sanchez at Gatecrasher. I'm like, wow. I think we've made you nervous. Yeah. yeah. Uh, anyway, we filled it out, it, and it, sure enough, that whole room just rocked, and it rocked, and it was completely different from electronics, yeah. and it was powerful, and it was unlike what we'd been doing before. Okay. But we, you know, we renamed it, so it's not standard for safety, it was also presents. From that point on, we need to get more like that. And then um, it kind of went on a downward demise thereafter, not because of the music, because of his relationship with, with the venue. So yeah. the venue became the plug uh, in 2005 and due to open in October. And they told us we'd have to be hustled every single week. And right. I said, I don't, I don't understand. What, what's the point of having us on every single week? And they were asking my advice for DJs because I've got that Ibiza connection as to what we're happening, I think, anyway. Uh, and said, you know, we'll have Steve Angelo, we'll have Eric Prids, we'll have Tim back, yeah. and, 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 and Smoking Joe, we'll have Paul Wolford, we'll have Back to Basics, okay. we'll have Joe Mills, we'll have Tim Deluxe. We literally went for it. Yeah. said uh, oh we're bringing in love to be okay well why 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 would you do that because we essentially we're aiming for the same market same, yeah well we just want to we just want to take sheffield okay all right i'm not sure that's the right where to do it mm. so we had to do all these bookings and sure enough everyone i've just mentioned we add on okay which was bizarre you think where we'd come from to where we were 
uh, you know, like they become their bookings. You know, the, the, over a period of time, they become the venues' bookings, not yeah. ours. Okay. We were also presents, yeah, yeah. whatever, which were fine. You know, yeah. Uh, cool with that. Um, and then I could see Daddy's own personal problems, and just he disappeared off the map. I was covering for him. And so was Coxie. Yeah. We want to sell some tickets, we want to put posters up. Uh, he gone and I thought, I don't know about this. Yeah. I just didn't feel comfortable with it. And uh, so uh, I said, right, we need a meeting. And I said to him, I've had enough. Uh, Coxie has as well. Yeah. Which was blatantly obvious. We're uh, packing in. Right. Uh, and it, it took it in good spirit initially, but then I got a phone call that told me not in all certain terms that we are not to leave, and if you leave, you're definitely not going to get pressure. Yeah. And I would say, oh, careful what I say now. It was a strong conversation. There strong worded. Uh, the funny thing is, I got no intention of gate crusher at all. Yeah, yeah. No interest in gate crusher at all. Yeah. I got no interest in doing anything connected with promoting or anything like that. Yeah, yeah. It, it just squeezed the life out of me. Right. What happened. Yeah. Uh, and so, um, also kind of came to an end there, in, in a way. And then we tried a couple of other places. Um, so, like 2006, seven, just small place. I think we did Matrix. Metcalf Brothers um, trying to think where else we did uh, and then Coxie rang me up and said oh Gatecrasher wants us <laughs> I went right okay uh, I said do you want it he said yeah 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 I said but it's not it's not us is it really you know we were like low ceiling club dark this is fast I mean it's not a big big club but it's fast ceiling um, I said, I, I don't know. Mm. And he said, well, like, let's just try it. Um, right, okay. All right, I'll trust you. And um, so we went into it. And um, I've got to say, they could not have been more accommodating. They looked after us. Okay. They let us book who we wanted. Right. Helped us with bookings. Uh, at least Barrack Club are there actually now. And, you know, it's a friend in Ibiza. It's the only thing that's uh, amnesia. Yeah. And um, came to the first night, and I, I looked round and I went, Nope, this isn't awesome. This is not what we're about no. at all. Uh, and like either side, I can't remember what we remember. We got egg candy week after or week before. We were in good company. Yeah, yeah. It's just as a venue, it just did work for the brand. Okay. Uh, it, it just did not work. Uh, and I. I can't tell you more than that. So I think we did six months there. The irony is, I actually love DJing there. Right. Because I got to do the other nights, it won't set some what have you. Uh, and I, I played alongside, uh, I think, Tom Norvay, uh, DJ Sneak. I wound up for the wonderful boy George, who yeah. was absolute gentleman. Right. Completely got DJ etiquette. I mean, to a T. Came and shook and waking up in the record box. Yeah. Oh, do you mind if I have a drink? Yeah. Uh, what what channels were we working on? Okay. Uh, anything I need to know about sound system? All these sort of things that. Okay. Like <laughs> you speak to most DJs in inverted commas, not got a clue. Kept his space behind because you're mixing. 
it, you know, he waited in between tracks to, to or while track was on rather, while to, to talk. Shot, yeah. What a gentleman. Oh, love what one. a legend. Love one. Um, so yeah, that that was us up to that point. Um, uh, and then one way or another, we did the, the the hustling parties and the hustle parties that included you and Carl. Yeah. Yeah. And um, you're going to have to remind me what venues we were at because I can't remember most of them. Um, I did Blah Bar. Yeah. And then there was another place that was... It was like a bar. You had to walk through like... Where's this? In Barnsley. Oh, it's escaped me right now. My apologies to the owners. But again, the, the like you say about the music, the music definitely changed at, at, at that yeah. point, whereas we were predominantly playing soulful, what you call funky house, vocal house, I guess. Yeah. To like you say, to the, to the more electro kind of side. Yeah, yeah. Um, I can't remember some of the names of the... The, the tracks that we played but yeah they were really good I really enjoyed the time at Blah Bar the crowd were great they were good sounds and you yeah. were nice I think we did some stuff in West Yorkshire as well didn't we Um we still did, did something at Leeds yeah did you do Gatecrasher in Leeds no we didn't actually no no did the place that I used to play at in Shipley alright oh, yeah called PM Bar PM bar upstairs, yeah, upstairs there. Um, Me and Cal played there quite what quite a few times. I think you came over with Joey. Yeah, yeah, Mr. Uh, Fabini. Yeah, played there a few times. That was quite good actually. Yeah, I should mention it, but as we mentioned, Joey, uh, and this will seem bizarre to some people. We we just started hustle in March 2003. By the summertime, we started hustling Ibiza twice yeah. a week, and Joey Fabini hosted that week in week out yeah. uh, and, and put on some great parties at uh, a parody bar uh, with Terry underneath this parody yeah. uh, and they're on the beach as well um, at um, Ithaca yeah Joey did a great job and we had some um, living legends play there as well over the years yeah yeah So we've just been talking about Hustle um, in its various uh, venues. When when did that actually finish? Uh, well, we'd done, uh, I, I started with a, a different partner, Chris Cox, who was doing his own thing by then, and um, went to a place in Sheffield called DQ. Okay. Uh, this would be about 2007, 8-ish, and from my daytime job alone, I could tell that recession was on its way. And because first thing that stops uh, in recession is people going out and spending money on, on yeah. drink and partying. Yeah. Uh, and it was hard work. Yeah. Uh, really hard work. We had some decent DJs on and had some decent nights. Um, and not least when we had a young Daily Padley play, actually. Uh, we then became Ots and Seats of Two. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, I, I'd say uh, we've done by about 2009, 2010. Right. Uh, and I'd had enough. I've had enough. I've been doing Northern Soul events as well at the same time. Okay. And uh, DJing threw it out. Like, you know, I've been DJing 
three nights a week. Yeah. Uh, and then on a Saturday night, I'd be doing hustle, and then the following in Saturday, I'd be doing another soul night. And yeah. It never Warrior seemed to end. Uh, and I, I still wanted to do things. I, I'd still got a love affair with soul music. And so, uh, I guess about 2009, um, I contacted uh, Carl at Starpoint Records, uh, Starpoint Radio, I should say, in London, um, and said, I, I want to do a, a radio show. Yeah. And he said, Yes, yeah, let's do this. Yeah. Oh, I'm like, okay. <laughs> oh, one of them, again, one of the moments you put yourself into it and you're like, oh, that actually happened. Um, and I loved it. Uh, you know, the, the actual format of sitting behind a microphone and playing music. Yeah. And I touched on it earlier, I think. Uh, actually just connecting with people that, yeah, yeah. by that medium. It's a completely different discipline to a dance floor or in a bar. You still play music. You yeah. still... You still, uh, I use this card, but, but um, you're still educating people uh, with new music, hopefully, and taking it into a certain direction. Make them feel happy. Yeah. Make them feel comfortable. Um, and, and were you playing a certain genre of music or. You, soul music. Just soul, soul music. music. And a mixture of um, old 70s and 80s, 90s soul music and okay. contemporary stuff. And you know, like, to this day, there's so much soul music released every single week yeah. that never ever gets exposure, yeah, not yeah. proper exposure anyway. Yeah. Uh, and certainly the the, the 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 big ones, the BBC, rarely get involved when they want to. Radio Six, yeah. they don't do it. Yeah. The independents don't really do it. Well, there's no such thing as an independent, but the Bow Group don't really do it that much. Uh, and so it's it's kind of there on Mixcloud for you to find uh, and things like that. But Starpoint carries on. Uh, my soul do it as well, yeah. Uh, and there are one or two others, uh, but you know, getting soul music played to mainstream is all but impossible, I think, these days. Uh, but yeah, I, I had a great time there. Um, I, I loved it. I mean, it just it's uh, a great music to express yourself lyrically. Um, you know, like if you're feeling happy, you can find soul music that's happy, yeah, yeah. tempo. If you're feeling a bit low, you can wallow in your despair yeah, with yeah. soul music it, there's something about soul music that's so close to my heart yeah, yeah. Um, and, and lots of people really um, I, clearly generally speaking it's the lyrics that take it there yeah. that, that hit you that target you that yeah. get your heart uh, but yeah I, I love it thought, and this sounds arrogant, but it's not meant to be, but I, I genuinely thought, uh, okay, I've got a successful radio show on, on Starpoint, uh, getting a lot of love, um, I'm a DJ, years experience, many years experience, 
Uh, I understand the music. I love the music. Maybe I could get to play at some events. Yeah, yeah. Could not be more wrong. Could not be more wrong. Okay. The resistance. Uh, to this day, I don't know what it was or what it is. The resistance to playing soul music to soul people in soul events, and there are many knocking about. Um, just incredible. I, I, I like. If you wrote it down on paper, DJ with experience loves soul music, as opposed to, and I, I, kept, I say this with respect, most of the DJs on the soul scene are record collectors, but they're not DJs. Yeah. They don't understand how to create a flow, how to create energy with music, how to keep a dance floor going. Uh, or the, at least that's what I see. Uh, and, you know, like, um, spoke to some people have been to some of the big soul events recently. Said that the DJs they have on some of them they play great music but all it wrong order, yeah, yeah. Uh, and you know, you could quite easily say that's what the difference is between a record collector and a DJ, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I carried that until about 2012. In between that, I started going back to uh Ibiza, okay, um, on a regular basis. Uh, well, no, I've not stopped actually from the mid 2000s, uh. I, there were a point actually I, I were in uh, Figueretas and I got okay. with my mates and I looked around and I thought I like this place and yeah, weirdly yeah. enough when it got to 2013 this place I called home right. in Ibiza uh, it just there's something about that place it's yeah. crazy it's, right. but in a nice way not crazy party people it's yeah, just yeah. it's every nationality there every creed every colour every religion and it all sits together quite well yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's uh if the world could be like that, it'd be wonderful. Yeah, yeah. It really could. Uh, but yeah, I got, I got to about 2012, and um, I'd, I I now know that I'd fallen into depression. Okay. Um, and um, I I didn't even like myself. Right, okay. I weren't communicating with people. I weren't talking. I was DJing still, but I would like just play music for the sake of playing music. Yeah. Uh, when I was out, I mean... I, playing the soul music, funnily enough, that gave me a great lift. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, 2012 into 2013, probably um, a really bad way looking back. Um, and I, I, I sat in the lounge and thought, right, I'm, what am I going to do? Yeah, yeah. What, what am I going to do? But at that point, I was separated. Um, I was somewhere at uni, I think at that stage. I don't know where we'd be at that stage, but anyway, we weren't home. And um, I thought, right, I'm going to go to Ibiza. Okay. And I went in late October, as you do. <laughs> <laughs> and suddenly I realised I was where I needed to be, where I wanted to be. And I, I, I didn't know again at that time, but it started a healing process. Okay. Uh, just being amongst people that I didn't really know, uh, but I became a friend. Yeah. And those people are still friends 10 years later mm. they just accepted me for what I was yeah. and then little by little people got to find out I'd been a DJ because I decided I'd had enough of DJ I didn't, I didn't want anything to do with it Okay. I just I'd had enough falling out of love with it or were it just because of the place that you were at at that, that particular time my mental state at that point wouldn't allow me to do anything right okay you know there were times when I didn't even cook food or eat yeah, so, yeah. so DJing <laughs> Not even, not like, not even on the scale, not even close. Okay. And then um, I, c- 
can't remember exactly what it was, but around about that time, uh, a guy called Steve Elliott from, well, he's lived in Sheffield, remember. I'm going to call him a Sheffielder. Yeah. Uh, and, and Claire, they've been living in Ibiza for a couple of years. And he contacted me and he asked, um, uh, I'm interested in DJing in Ibiza. And I went, well, yeah, I, th- I think I, yeah, I think <laughs> I am. I actually just said, yeah. Yeah. But in my mind, I'm thinking, well, I, I think I am, yeah, yeah. 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 He said, oh, mate, Esvive, he's, he's wanting us to DJ there. So Esvive, I remember from years back, and the original head candy parties in Ibiza yeah, were yeah. Esvive, yeah, which yeah. is a, a, a wonderful Art Deco building. Uh, just superb, and he got his own little club inside, and um, wonderful swimming pool. Yeah. And um, the uh, the attraction to it was immense, so I thought, right, that's what I'm going to do. Yeah. And um, I can't remember, I probably set off about April, sometime like that, and I just got on with it. Uh, and I, I, my first. DJ partner there was a guy called Campo. Okay. And from being completely low for many years, uh, Campo come along. And he's actually an hairdresser by trade, and he's not come through that that DJ process. And I, I know he'll understand what I'm saying. With this, he'd not gone through the DJ process that I'd gone through, or, or probably yourself. Yeah. But he was a DJ. He is a DJ. Um, and. He showed me I needed to show love to the people and show, express myself as a DJ that I were enjoying myself, which I, I completely forgot about. That, that sounds odd, but I'd no, forgot. No, no, I, 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 yeah, I, I, I understand. I forgot what to do in terms of showing expression. I don't mean standing there with one arm in your ear like some of these idiots do. <laughs> uh, they've just bought a controller, some headphones. Yeah. Downloaded yeah. some tunes, they suddenly yeah. DJ stick it one yeah. end. I have a dozen photographs of them doing that and yeah. no audience. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I mean, he just he laughed and he smiled while he was playing and trying. He's like, come on, yeah! Because mm. he loved the track you were playing. And I thought, do you know what? I, I forgot what that were all about. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, do you know what? I don't think I've ever thanked him for that. So maybe this is a thank you. When I see you next, I'll tell you. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, it, <laughs> some some of the things he did. I I do recall talking to someone at the bar while he was with X, and um, this is going to the extreme. I never do this, by the way. So bear this in mind. I want to something embrace doing. So I'm talking to this person. Suddenly, I realise this person's looking over my shoulder and uh, not concentrating on conversation. I'm yeah, thinking, yeah. what's he up to? Yeah, yeah. And I turn around, and he's stripped naked. <laughs> And he's trying to scratch the turntables with his yeah. what's it? Yeah, his penis. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I'm like, oh, excuse me, <laughs> we're running around Campo, put some balls on. But he, he, he used to. He, I mean, he knew everyone. He, he brought us Miguel Campbell to play in the in, in his little club and yeah, yeah. various other people. Um, uh, but he made everyone feel welcome, uh, and yeah. I took that as well. Yeah, uh, and it put me in good stead uh, because. The next year, I met uh, my now DJ partner in Ibiza, Tony Anton, DJ Anton. Yeah. Uh, him and his wife, Sally, just uh, amazing people, yeah. lovely people. But he said, uh, I'm going to work on this new project across the island called The Beach Star. Are you interested? I went, well, if you're doing it, I'll do it, yeah. And uh, probably the best decision I had made in my professional life anyway. Right. 
just absolutely uh, amazing times. Every day you're going thinking, what's going to happen today? Yeah, yeah. Uh, what people I'm going to meet? And I could play exactly what I wanted to play. Uh, and uh, if you're a venue owner and you're listening to this, you should embrace that because yeah, yeah. we were allowed to play exactly what we wanted. And if you read the reviews on TripAdvice or anything up to last year, it always mentions the music the DJs play. Yeah. Because as DJs, we love what we're doing. And, and that shows. That, that went out like a wave to the people. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and... Um, yeah, you know what? I, I actually love that venue. Yeah. If, if I could have married the beach star, <laughs> I'm joking. But it, it, it's such a, a wonderful place, and Tony designed and built most of it himself. Well, going back to SV there, that, that's a, that were a curious place. So they're rich and famous, uh, essentially, on, on well-to-do. So I've met footballers in there. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've met film producers. I've met uh, all kinds of people uh, that you call um, celebrities. Um, uh, the one particular evening when it were ready one weekend, and I woke, I'd been asked to go in early to warm up for disclosure. Yeah. And I, and I got there, and... Uh, I'm stood at the bar and, and Grimshaw's supposed to be on decks but he's jumping around and doing whatever and I'm thinking right I'm going to have to jump on the decks in a bit anyway this lovely lady came over to me and we started talking about weather and yeah, yeah. you know uh, what she was wearing nice outfit and yeah. what have you because she was bright red and red beret and uh, just general chit chat anyway she she said oh I'm, I'm, Nick wants me yeah. uh, it's been nice talking to you off she went my friend's from Leeds with me you know Rita? <laughs> and I went, Rita who? 
Rita Ora, <laughs> you've just been talking to her. <laughs> well, uh, I don't know. Not no clue. idea. It's a nice lady. Not a clue. Uh, and uh, yeah, that was a big night. That was a weird night. Yeah. Um, so, uh, Gregory Porter, great jazz singer. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Big track on the island at that time with Clapton's remix of... Uh, 1960, what? No, um, Liquid Spirit. Oh, Liquid Spirit, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm playing. Uh, well, Disclosure had thrown a curveball at me because they did a hip-hop set. Okay. And the room needed house music after they'd been on. So I'm playing Liquid Spirit and I'm just fading it out, bringing the next track in. Who should walk in but Gregory <laughs> Porter? Gregory Chuffin Porter in front of me. It's all I think in. What do I do? Yeah, yeah. I've never been starstruck ever. Yeah. I've never been starstruck. But like Gregory Porter's in front of me. And I'm thinking, I've just played your track. I, yeah. I don't go and tell him I've just played your track. Anyway, he had a good dance, gave me a smile. He's still got his head squat thing on. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what you call it. But um, uh, it, it one of the wonderful memories I had at SVV. Yeah. Uh, and I'll carry that. Uh, and, and lots of great people there. Yeah, uh, yeah wonderful time there. Yeah. Uh, but the Beach Star um, is now finished in terms of me working there and Tony, and we move on to uh, the Palm Star, uh, which I've already been. I was there for Groove Odyssey a few weeks ago, yeah. and uh, someone said to me, it's uh, in the nicest possible way, it's like the Beach Star, but on steroids. I was going to say it looks big it's, from, it's from the clips big. at Groove Odyssey. It's got so many quirky, interesting, wonderful things about it. And again, this all comes from Tony. The majority of it anyway it's just a wonderful venue and I am so blessed to be playing there again uh, we did a little bit last summer but over the winter they uh, transformed it into something and is the boot going to be where it was at Groove Odyssey yeah, yeah. yeah that's the one we used last year yeah um, uh, I can't wait so um, yeah I'm looking forward to that this year and when do you go? Uh, July July, July. Um, and hopefully I'll be doing one or two other things um I stood pikes the other night, actually. Yeah. Wow. Um, while I was still in the UK, unfortunately I had to turn that down for obvious reasons. Um, I didn't realise that pikes had three or more rooms. Um, well, it's got a pool area with a DJ box. It's got Freddy's room, which has got a DJ box. Uh, they could put one down the left-hand terrace. Then there's a room at the back that uh, they don't use an awful lot. And then in between that, there's a restaurant where you could probably have a DJ. And then they have the tennis courts where they have uh, the pink tennis courts where they have live, live acts. They have primal screenplay okay. there amongst others. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. For, a, for a, a relatively small space, they make the most of the space. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Going back to Steve Elliott, when me and my wife went to a beaker in 95, I think it was, we actually met Steve. Oh, right, okay. Then not knowing 20 years later that you'll get a friend request from the, the guy that was DJing in the bar that you used to go in every night fantastic DJ great shout out to Steve absolutely fantastic yeah. time during absolutely. that
So yeah, so the beach star. So that's that's happening this this summer. Uh, the palm star. Palm star. Sorry, palm star. Um, how long will you be out there? How long are you allowed to be out there? Oh because well, um, because of Brexit. If yeah. you voted for Brexit, by the way, you're listening to this. <laughs> I hate you, and you are a fool. <laughs> You read all the wrong newspapers no politics, and you're easily please. swayed. <laughs> no politics. Uh, do you know what? I, wait, people ask me this question, how long are you stopping for? Yeah. I, I, I get asked every other day. Yeah, yeah. And it's 90 days. Yeah. Oh, how come? Oh, because of Brexit. Oh, what a stupid idea that was. Yeah. I've yet to find anyone, <laughs> anyone, bearing around it with 49, 51% vote yeah. in favour of Brexit. I've yet to find anyone that says... I voted for Brexit. Yeah. In all the conversations I've had <laughs> that start out, oh, how long are you here for? Blah, yeah. blah, blah. Not one. <laughs> anyway, we're not doing politics. No, no politics on this. Uh... Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm hoping to do some other venues this year. Um, I've been blessed with some great venues. Uh, last go there, I got asked to do, uh, what, pre. Yeah, it would be about 2017, 2018. So you got to, you got to visualize it. It's not far from Ibiza Airport, but a distance away enough not to be noisy. Yeah. Uh, La Escalera means sea wall, and it literally is a sea wall and a restaurant, and it's dominated by the rich and the famous, the wealthy, the well-to-do, yeah. and the wannabes, the aspirationals. Yeah, yeah. Nothing wrong with that. Um, but I, I, I've met some really nice people there yeah I was talking to a chap and it was almost a retirement moment this but I was talking to this chap and uh, uh, we were sharing having a cigarette together and just talking while I'm DJing and he said uh, I like your music and I went thank you very much that's very kind of you I said are you from the island he said yes yes he said I spend more, a lot of time away from it now he says I've just come back from Kilimanjaro so I like to go and visit these places that we, we see on TV and what have you. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I said, yeah, well, I'd like the opportunity. I said, I feel blessed to be here at La Scalera, uh, in this wonderful environment. It seems it's a lovely place. My favourite place to take lunch. I take lunch here pretty much every day. So, uh, you know, the average lunch is about 80 euros. Yeah, I'm yeah. thinking, this guy's got a few bob. Yeah, yeah. And um, anyway, off he went. And he said, adios, adios. And one of the staff came up to me and said, how do you know Martin? I says, uh, who's, who's Martin? He says, the, the guy you've just been talking to, he owns Amnesia. Oh. I went, no way. <laughs> no way. And I wouldn't have known. I wouldn't have known. No. Um, no. But yeah, it, it, very, very lucky to, to, to work there. Uh, hard work, because you work so like six days a week. Yeah. One day off, every day, one till six o'clock. Uh, but check uh, like a king. Yeah. An absolute king. Yeah. Uh, I'd like to go back to Savannah. Um, if I get a chance or, or at least one of the venues to do Sunset because of all the things that I've done as a DJ the most exhilarating thing you can imagine and possibly the most nervy as well mm. because it comes back to we're talking about weddings and special yeah, days yeah, yeah. it's a special moment when when nature affects us and you've got you're creating a soundtrack for nature where the sun drops into the sea mm. you've only got a small period of time to make it work and to create and build yeah. that energy or work with that energy yeah. I should say because the energy's already there you've got to work with it and to make that, that sunset really special because on that particular moment on that particular day in that particular hour 
a someone's holiday. They might yeah. not come back to Ibiza. It might be the first time in Ibiza. But you're going to make it special. And the exhilaration, yeah. the energy, uh, the palpitations yeah. of getting it right, it, it's just, it's, it's like a drug almost. And they'll and come for that moment. They'll come for that moment. And uh, I just absolutely adore it. I yeah. love that pressure. I love being under pressure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that, that, that pressure of getting it right. Bang on. Yeah. 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 Uh, and so hopefully I'll get to do it again. Yeah. Hopefully. We shall see. Fingers crossed. So before the before this interview started, me and Dave were talking about how long we'd known each other. <laughs> and neither of us can pinpoint a, a, a time, but during lockdown, we did spend not, obviously not time together, but as a collective, we were streaming on the Sunday for Soulful House DJs, and we were so lucky to do that. Recently, we we all met up in Leeds. Um, and had a party at Angelica's. Um, I just thought I'd ask you how your time in lockdown during that strange period was. Um, well, I'm kind of get up and get on with it sort of person. So I, um, I, I was lucky in as much that, um, well, I, I, I want to work. I, I can't work until I drop dead. Um, and I thought, well, this is not good for me as a DJ. I can't work. Yeah. <laughs> so, what services are carrying on? Uh, and so I applied for Royal Mail. Uh, and so I was working every hour given, pretty much, for Royal Mail. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, and it was a blessing. You know, like really hard work. I mean, my hat goes off to postmen yeah. and delivery men everywhere. Um, so I, I was looking in that respect. Uh, uh, but when it came down to streaming, you know, of course we were doing Soulflower DJs together, uh, but I were doing my own streams as well. Yep. 
it made me realise as I've been visiting people's properties with a post and what have you that how uh, isolated they were. Yeah. And the reason I started streaming at that time is to give something um, because I just thought if I if I can give something to people and make their COVID world a better place, uh, then it's a success. I do recognise that people utilise that period in time to make themselves into superstar DJs. Yeah. Allegedly. But that, you know, I, I've had a DJ career and what have you. It was purely from from the heart, is to entertain. And you know what? I still get messages today from people saying, I'm playing your, your house party uh, stream from whenever, in lockdown, or your soul set, or your disco set. Uh, from whatever <laughs> typical of people and I, I said this with respect but like I think you're going to remember what you did back in August whenever it was 2020 yeah I, I like <laughs> no uh, but it's lovely yeah that I did something and um, when, when I did get back to Ibiza twice during the lockdown in those little windows of opportunity and the amount of people that came up to me and said Oh, your streams and been wonderful. It's kept us going. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's the only thing that kept it. We were looking forward to Friday night or or Saturday night. I think a lot of people were during that time, just trying to find some sort of normality. I guess that, that yeah, people yeah. like yourself were were, were bringing. Well, so. there, were, there were a lot of positivity out of it. I mean, Del yeah. Castell was, was a good friend of mine, um, and spent a lot of time with him um, in Ibiza. But certainly last year, we never away. Uh, but he, he he turned a negative into a real positive, and he's gone from his our house streams to our house events, and boy, they look fantastic. Yeah. And now he's actually taking it to the Palm Star. Yeah. Or in Ibiza, he's going to be at the Palm Star in, in September. Uh, so you you know, I always believe you can pull a positive out of as a negative. It's your mindset. Definitely. Uh, and I, that's how I. I go about my business every day. Yeah. If it, if it's uh, a problem or an issue, let's turn it around. Let's do it differently. Yeah. Look at it in a different way. Yeah. Uh, and that, that kind of thing keeps me going.
may have covered a lot of things. Um, yeah, we've left an awful lot out. We have. We've probably skipped through quite a quite a fair chunk. A whole career for some people we've yeah. skipped. Um, so just look into the future. Yeah, what are you thinking? Uh, what are your plans? I don't have plans. Um, he fights uh, Glenn, who you remember from Larbar. He said to me uh, last week, actually, he said, This isn't like you. you, you're usually like a year in front. And I went, What do you mean? He says, It's not Dave who plans everything. Yeah. And I said, Well, I kind of probably got to that age now where I don't really want to make any plans. Yeah. Uh, because you know previously I'd planned the next Ibiza year the year before yeah um, and I got again um, I got asked to do tram lines okay um, for, for this summer and I'd already organised this year but I did say I ain't got anything organised for next year yet no because I just don't know what I want to do as much as I love Ibiza and as much as I love my job in Ibiza I don't know what I'll be doing. Yeah. That's not to say I won't do it. Mm. I'm not saying for one minute I'll not be doing it. I just don't know. Yeah. Because things change so quickly. Yeah. You yeah. know, I, I got to Ibiza when I was 50. August to DJ in Ibiza when they're 50 <laughs> for the first time. Uh, you just, you know, you don't know what's around the corner. Yeah. And so, uh, who knows what I'll be doing next year. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, suffice to say, if it finishes up being Ibiza, there are worse places to be. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but I will carry on DJing. Um, I'll carry on DJing while I think I'm still effective. Okay. And the gauge of that is people's responses. While managers and owners might not necessarily see or understand people's responses. Yeah. When they come up to you and say, thanks for that set today. Or... God, I glitter box last night. I thought I'd be dying today, but you've got me up on my feet. You've yeah. made me feel good. Um, whatever. Whatever it is. When I'm getting responses like that, that'll keep me going. Uh, and by virtue of that, I think I am still effective. And so, the future, who knows? Who knows? What's What's up next? What have you What have you got lined up oh, over um, the next couple of months? So, I'm... Uh, uh, a gentleman contacted me that um, I don't think I met more than twice in my life but we're, we're friends on, on social media and he said doing a festival here in, in Sheffield down the M1 uh, Junction 35 uh, and would I like to be involved and I thought you know why not Let, let's just do it uh, yeah I'm warming up for Dave Pierce. okay uh, I'm doing a weird Ibiza start to my season so I've been there for one week already uh, I'm going back July, early July, then I come back to do the festival, then I go back to Ibiza, uh, right through till the end of September. Okay. Um, and then from that point onwards, we'll look to the future, I think. But uh, yeah, uh, I'll be at the Palm Star, I don't know how many times a week, uh, people are ask, already messaging me and saying, well, what day you want? I have a clue. Yeah, I don't yeah. know yet. I'll know when I get there. Uh, but yeah, that, that's uh, the immediate future. Okay. And when that's I great. can, I'll continue to do Soulfouse DJs on a Sunday and uh, get involved with anything that takes me fancy really excellent so unless there's anything else that you want to mention bring up uh, other than thank you for doing this interview 
No, not really, no. I think probably people have had enough of how long we've been on there. Oh, just short of three hours. So yeah. if you've lasted this long, <laughs> well done to you. <laughs> Our gold star. <laughs> no, th- uh, thank you to you for all the um, information and everything that you provided over the last couple of months for us to put this together. And, and, and this is the first of its kind. Well, I hope you do it again. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think you found where the microphone is now, I so don't stop mic- now. Yeah, I found where the microphone is. Um, I don't feel too bad, actually. I think there it's you gone go. okay. Um, and, yeah, thank you for listening. And uh, Yes, thank, thank you, you for very listening. Much. Thank you very much for the interview, Dave. I really appreciate it. Thank you, mate. Been thank a pleasure. You.